Hello, everyone. I'll start with our land acknowledgement tonight. The West Hollywood Planning Commission acknowledges that the land on which we gather, and that is currently known as the City of West Hollywood, is the occupied, unceded, seized territory of the Gabrielina Tongva and Gabrielino Keech peoples. This Planning Commission meeting is being live broadcast and teleconferenced on the City's website, and as a courtesy, this meeting is also available on the City's YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash WeHoTV, and on Roku, Apple TV, Fire TV, and Android TV. You may call in to make a comment, and you may also listen to this meeting by dialing 669-900-6833. Again, that's 669-900-6833 with a meeting ID 821-1467-5792. Again, that's 821-1467-5792, and then press the pound sign. I will now officially call this, um, this meeting of the West Hollywood Planning Commission to order. It is 6.33, and we have a Pledge of Allegiance, and Vice Chair Lombardi is going to lead us on that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Roll call, David. Uh, good evening, Commissioners. Tonight, uh, Commissioner Jones is absent, so the record, uh, digital voting record, will reflect that on all the votes. Commissioner Meadows. Present. Commissioner uh, Gregoire. Here. Commissioner Edwards. Here. Commissioner Copeland. Here. Vice Chair Lombardi. Present. Chair Carvalero. Here. And we have a quorum. Thank you. So, approval of the agenda. Do I have any changes to the agenda tonight? I move approval. Do I have a second? Second. Thank you. David? A motion by Commissioner Gregoire. I'm sorry, who we made the second? Thank you. Seconded by uh, Commissioner Edwards. And the agenda is approved uh, for November 16, 2023, as presented, noting Commissioner Jones absent. Thank you. Approval of the minutes from October 19, 2023. Do I have any comments or changes on those minutes? I'll move approval. I will second. Thank you. Motion by Commissioner Meadows, seconded by Commissioner Gregoire. And the motion passes, uh, approving the minutes for October 19th, 2023, as presented, and noting Commissioner Jones absent. Thank you. David, do we have any public comments at this time? And this time is set aside for those items that are not on the public hearing tonight. Uh, we do, Chair. Uh, before, okay, there is, we, 
if there is anybody on the Zoom platform that would like to make a general public comment, please star nine for me at this time. I do have a couple people in chambers here that would like to uh, make a comment uh, regarding the consent calendar item, which was just approved, and they have that the right to do that. So our first public speaker uh, will be Andrew Solomon. He will be followed by George Nichols. Hi, good evening, commissioners. Uh, good to see you tonight. Um, I just wanted to, it's on the consent calendar, so for the record, I just wanted to, to voice my opposition to um, the, uh, the standards for the, the tree canopy, uh, the language that was still included in the, in, um, the actual resolution uh, about what constitutes a hardship. Um, says that designing a new structure around a mature tree because it, is, because it is an inconvenience does not necessarily constitute a hardship. I just think for a builder one day to come in and they bought you know, two lots um, that are upzoned and they want to replace those two single family lots with a lot more units, a lot more houses, a lot more people, and there is a big tree in a backyard um, just because it makes it this language says that just because it makes it a lot more difficult uh, does not constitute a hardship. I, I think that that is in practical standards in real life, that is a hardship, that it does make it a lot more expensive, a lot more difficult to build, and I think it makes it tougher for us to meet our housing goals and housing standards. So thanks for your time tonight. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Our, our next and final speaker in chambers uh, will be George Nichols. Hi, George Nickel, 19-year resident of West Hollywood. I wanted to speak tonight in favor of the piece that was just on the consent calendar, the tree canopy standards. Um, when I moved here 19 years ago, one of the reasons why I moved is because in front of my house, there is a big, gorgeous magnolia tree. And it shades us. And at one point, the city trimmed it back, and that summer, our electric bill went up. It was a lot more expensive to cool our house because when the tree was at its full height, it cooled our home naturally. So the staff report had mentioned all of the things that trees do for the environment. And we're all worried about having a, a world that is worth living in. It can sequester carbon. Trees shade us. Trees can lock the soil down so that there's less water runoff in quick rains. So I'm glad that you passed this, and I would just urge you to always vote for trees, vote for green spaces, and vote for all the lovely things that make this a good place to live in, and you'll always be on the right side of things. Thank you. Uh, thank you, George. Uh, Chair, I believe that is our last public speaker in chambers. We have no public speakers on the Zoom platform. We are clear. Okay, thank you. Director's report. Yeah. Oh, okay, uh, Chair. Um, I'm sorry, uh, we have one more public comment for this item. Okay. Um, Aaron Green. Good evening, Chair, members of the Commission, Aaron Green. I uh, wanted to briefly comment, I did submit a letter on this item. I appreciate the work that the Commission did at its last hearing, um, and I think that there were some important changes that were made. Um, I would note two quick things, or actually three. First, uh, while you have adopted the agenda tonight, you have not approved this item, and you're not required to approve this item should you choose not to, or if, as a commission, you decide that more work does need to be done. Uh, the 
There are a number of concerns that our clients have, but I think perhaps the most pressing is the fact that this ordinance, or I should say the draft ZTA, still lacks specificity in several areas. The commission made it clear during the last, commission, during the last meeting that it did not want this proposal to get in the way of the construction of housing or educational institutions or other vital pieces of the future of the city of West Hollywood. Yet the language that was inserted by staff subsequent to the last hearing provides a lot of ambiguity. It says, for example, that if it's infeasible to build around a tree, then you can apply to relocate it. But what's the definition of infeasible? Or, for example, if it's required that one relocate it. But there's no definition of what is necessary for relocation. And so what does that mean? That means that unless the planners who are looking at this in the future uh, watch the uh, two-hour hearing that you all had last month about what your intent is, they don't know what your intent is because it's not in the ordinance. It's very vague, and that makes it subjective. And the entire purpose that, and the entire reason that staff said that they brought this to you was to create objective standards. But there are no objective standards for when to, pre to preserve trees in certain locations when it comes to development, when it comes to housing, public facilities, educational institutions, and when you should remove or relocate those trees. So the effect, if you approve the language this evening, is that when it goes to a planner's, uh, when a, an application lands on a planner's desk after the submittal of an application, I'm gonna decide what I think is infeasible, you're gonna decide what you think is infeasible, and you're gonna decide what you think is infeasible. And that's the way that this ordinance will be executed. And that's a very, I think, unintended, and it would be an unfortunate consequence. And so I would encourage the commission to continue to look at this. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Aaron. And Jared, that is our last public speaker. Thank you. And apologies for that. No issue. Um, item seven, director's report. Good evening, Chair Carvalho, Vice Chair Lombardi and Planning Commissioners. Nick Marisich, Director of Community Development. Uh, and it's been uh, just about two months since I started here in this role uh, with the City of West Hollywood, so it's great to be with you again this evening. Uh, this past Monday uh, was my first director's hearing, and we did have an item uh, at 9045 Nemo Street. It was a request for late night alcohol service on the patio of a new restaurant, and that item was approved. Uh, next week on November 20th, the City Council will be hearing a report on the Small Business Initiatives Implementation Plan, uh, which was prepared in response to a series of recommended initiatives by the West Hollywood Chamber of Commerce as well as prior council directives. And I just wanted to highlight that because some of those items uh, may be coming to the Planning Commission at a future date. So we'll um, be happy to report back on the council's action at the next Planning Commission meeting. And then finally, I uh, wanted to announce for everyone that the Long Range Planning Division will be hosting a mobility pop-up to take place on Monday, November 27th, between 5 and 7 p.m. And this event is gonna take place along Santa Monica Boulevard uh, in the westbound direction at Hilldale and in the eastbound direction at San Vicente. This event is a partnership between the city and the West Hollywood Bicycle Coalition to share information and opportunities for public input on mobility projects that are underway in the city. 
And we'll also be encouraging safe cycling by helping bicyclists light the way and be more visible during nighttime riding. So there will be a distribution of free bike lights to those who uh, show up to the event and bring their bicycles with them. Those will be given out on a first come first serve basis and supplies are limited. There will also be information available about several mobility projects underway in the city and opportunities to give public input on those. Those include the city's ongoing dockless mobility and autonomous delivery programs, uh, transit services such as the city line and the pickup, and new bikeways being designed concurrent with two related planning initiatives, which is Fountain Avenue and the Willoughby Vista Gardner corridors. The city is also developing its new Target Vision Zero Action Plan, as well as a Metro K-Line North First Last Mile Plan. Uh, and those are, will include recommendations to improve bicycle and pedestrian safety and access. So residents, employees, visitors, and stakeholders are all encouraged to stop by the mobility pop-up. Again, it's Monday, November 27th, between 5 and 7 p.m. on Santa Monica Boulevard to learn more about these projects. You can also visit weho.org mobility uh, for additional information. That concludes my report for this evening, and I'm available for any questions. Thank Great. you. Thank you. Do we have any questions for our director? No? Thank you. Okay, that brings us to item eight, our consent calendar. Do I have any comments on our consent calendar? No? Does this require a motion? Does this require a motion? Uh, yes, we would take a first and a second. Okay. And then a vote. Um, I feel like this text amendment, zone testament, does need a little bit more clarification. I would like to drop it to consent if we can. So I'd like to make a motion to Remove so, it from consent. Chair, the, uh, to remove it from consent, if it requires sort of further substantive edits or things of that nature, we would recommend it be re-noticed as a public hearing so that the public has um, the opportunity to show up and appear if there are going to be substantive changes to the, the ordinance versus what was approved at the last meeting, um, which is on consent this evening. So are we allowed to discuss it generally in terms of the comments? The purpose of the consent um, item is really to ensure it captures the motion that was made and approved at the last planning commission. If there is a desire from the commission to sort of discuss it generally or consider sort of clarifications or amendments to the language of the zone text amendment, the city would sort of re-notice that as a public hearing so the public had uh, the opportunity to weigh in to the extent there's a discussion of, or potential additional changes. Okay, great. Thanks, Sue. So, Vice Chair Lombardi, do you feel like the comments reflect, the notes reflect all the comments that were made at the last commission meeting? I, I do, personally, yes. Okay. Then we'll leave the consent item as is. Sure. So, I think that the commission has two options. You can approve, and, and both would require a motion, a second, and then a full vote. So, you can approve what is on consent, which is meant to reflect the vote that was taken and the motion approved at the last meeting, or alternatively, there could be a motion to uh, pull it and to re-notice it as a public hearing to discuss the substance and make further amendments. Can you go over the first option again? Sure. The first option would be uh, to approve the consent calendar item, which reflects the changes that were made to the draft zone text amendment at the last meeting. Okay. And uh, doing so would send that up to City Council for uh, public hearings uh, associated with their consideration of that zone text amendment. Okay, then I'll make a motion to approve, approve the zone text amendment um, with the inclusion of all the comments that were made at our last commission meeting. Do I have a second? 
I will second. David? Uh, motion by Chair Carvalero, seconded by Vice Chair Lombardi. And the motion passes, uh, noting Commissioner Jones absent on this vote. There is no appeal process. This is a recommendation going toward, forward to City Council. Thank you, David. So that brings us to our first public hearing, item 9A. Um, so this project is subject to the Housing Accountability Act. The commission has been asked to consider a request to construct a seven-story, 89-unit, 100% affordable multifamily residential building over three levels of subterranean parking located at 910 through 916 North Weatherly Drive. And I believe Roger Rath has a staff report for us tonight. Yes, thank you. Okay, good afternoon, Chair and Commissioners. My name is Roger Rath, and I am one of the Associate Planners for the Current and Historic Preservation Planning Team. As stated earlier, um, the request is for the demolition of all existing structures on the subject property, a lot merge of three abutting parcels, and the construction of a new seven-story, 89-unit, 100% affordable multifamily building. The subject property spans three parcels, 1916 Weatherly, 914 Weatherly, and 910 Weatherly that would be merged to, through a lot tie. The subject property is located north of Cynthia Street on Weatherly Drive and is adjacent to a designated cultural resource at 9025 Cynthia Street. The designated cultural resource is First Baptist Church of Beverly Hills. This image is the existing conditions of the subject property. 916 Weatherly is currently developed as a surface parking lot both 914 Weatherly and 910 Weatherly is currently developed with a single-family dwelling. Part of the project proposal is to demolish all existing structures on the site. The subject properties were reviewed for potential historic or cultural significance through two H historic res resource assessments that were verified by city staff, Chattel Inc., the city's on-call preservation consultant, and GPA Consulting, all concluding that the existing properties are not eligible for listing as a historical resource under local, state, or national criteria. This image shows the proposed building. The building is seven stories tall with 89 residential units with a contemporary design. This is a 100% affordable housing as defined by the West Hollywood Municipal Code. The code definition is that all units are 100% affordable with up to 20% of the unit for moderate income households and the remainder of the units are for very low and low income units except for the manager unit. Specifically, this project provides one manager unit two units for moderate income households, and the remaining 86 units are for very low and low income households. Affordable housing ensures that people or families with lower income can afford to live in this development, aligning with the city's dedication to addressing housing need for a wide range of uh, residents. The project includes 62 studio units, 21 bedroom units, six two bedroom units, and one three bedroom unit. There are transom windows included in these units that enhances cross breeze and lighting within the units. The materiality of the building includes corrugated metal panels, fiber reinforced cementus panel with a wood texture, perforated metal railing and screens, and an aluminum window frames. The creative design strategies, including changes in material, stepping and recessing planes and volumes, architectural projections, 
and shading devices all aid in reducing some of the visual impacts that could have arisen in the building's form. The design review subcommittee meeting reviewed and com commented on the design on March 23, 2023. Discussion from the meeting included configuration to common and open, private open space, unit configuration, laundry facilities, and materia materiality and design. Commissioner Lombardi was at the meeting and can provide more clarity to the design comments. The proposed building is set back nine feet from the side property line. The church is approximately three feet away from the side property line. In total, there is about 12 feet between the side elevation and the church. On April 24th, 2023, the Historic Preservation Commission reviewed and commented on the project to determine um, whether there is a potential for a new project to create a substantial adverse change to the significance of the resource. Because there is no physical demolition, destruction, or alteration of the First Baptist Church of Beverly Hills, there is nothing that would affect the inclusion of the church as a local cultural resource. However, the Commission has provided comments regarding the setback between the property and the church that suggested that the shadow would be casted on the church stained glass that faces north would affect the church's historical significance. Since that meeting, the applicant has reduced the number of balconies on this elevation. The seventh floor includes a community room, two offices, a laundry room, the manager's unit, and a rooftop deck. The rooftop deck includes a barbecue dining area, a lounge, a community garden area, and work cabana. The hours of operation for the roof deck has been conditioned in the draft resolution as condition 15.1 and 15.2, which requires the rooftop deck operations to comply with the city's noise ordinance and limit the hours of operation within the rooftop deck to 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. The image in the slide was the primary entrance when reviewed by the design review subcommittee in March of this year. The main entrance to the second floor courtyard was originally accessed from the first floor through a large stairway that is shaded with a large second floor eyebrow canopy um, identified here with my mouse. In response to the design review subcommittee comments, the applicant has revised the primary entrance creating additional open space on the second floor by reorganizing how the second floor is accessed and reconfiguration of the ground floor for different uses. So the subject property is located in the Fault Precaution 1 zone, FP1 for short. The Fault Precaution zone map is based on the state's Alquist Priolo Earthquakes Fault Zone map that intends to ensure public safety by prohibiting structures for human occupancy unless a site-specific geologic investigation called the Fault Rupture Investigation demonstrates that the proposed development will not be constructed within 50 feet of an active fault. The fault rupture investigation was reviewed and provisionally approved by the city's contract, contracted geologist, which was provided as Exhibit F in the staff report. For code and state law requirements, the building is set back 50 feet from the, the fault line based on the study. So in accordance with the West Hollywood Municipal Code and the state density bonus laws, projects with 100% affordable housing are eligible for a density bonus. Um, an additional three stories or 33 feet in additional height and reduced parking requirements. These specific bonuses are not discretionary. As such, the applicant is providing 89 units, a bonus density of 72 additional units. The project has an additional three stories and although no parking is required, 
the applicant has provided 62 parking spaces on site. Part of the affordable housing incentives, the applicant may apply for four concessions, as long as the concessions result in identifiable and actual cost reductions, it does not have specific adverse impact upon public health and safety or designated cultural resources. The applicant has requested four concessions. One, to eliminate the additional six-foot setback for the second and upper stories in addition to the front yard setback. Two, a reduction of 26% to the common and private open space. Three, location, relocation of the required common open space from the first floor to the second floor. And four, providing non-residential parking for the church use. For each concession, the applicant has highlighted the cost reduction, which is consistent with the municipal code and state law. The project requests three modifications. Two modifications for a 10% or one foot reduction to each side yard setback, and a 10% or one foot six inches reduction to the rear yard setback. Unlike the affordable housing incentive, this is discretionary. The commission may approve the modification if it is determined that the request will not have a significant impact on adjacent properties and a hardship exists. It is important to clarify that the modification request is not a variance. The modification is temporary is a 10% flexibility provided by the code that doesn't rise to the same findings as a variance, as there is a higher bar for a variance. The code provides the flexibility of a modification to development standards to account for things like required dimensions by the building code that are standard, such as doors, windows, room dimensions, etc., and other conditions that may restrict a development footprint, such as a fault line setback. As such, the hardship for the side yard setback reduction comes from the required fault line setback, which prevents a portion of the ground floor to be developed. The hardship for the rear yard setback reduction comes from the granting of a permanent eight-foot easement to reconfigure the public right-of-way along the entire property frontage. Therefore, the buildable area is restricted and the development of the building is required to be pushed back. Additionally, because the site is sloped, the applicant stated that another hardship is that the development would require more shoring, retaining walls, and infrastructure to accommodate the land's height differential. Seeing as each side yard modification results in just a one foot reduction and the rear yard modification results in a one foot six inch reduction, staff views the reduction as minimal difference. The project will still meet all requirements by all the other departments, such as the fire department. The modification will not have a significant impact on the neighboring properties. While the modifications requests are discretionary, they provide critical flexibility to allow the density requested in this project. Elimination of the 10% reduction of the side and rear yard setbacks would have impact on the design of the project and the number of units being proposed. Indicated with the blue lines are the setback for the modified 10% reduction. The red line indicates the building facade on all four sides. The purple box on the site plan indicates the sidewalk dedication. The required front yard setback is measured from the property line, so despite the dedication, the building could be potentially built against the dedication line. But staff strongly supports the increased setback in the front because it maintains consistency of the street wall. The orange line indicates the 50-foot fault line setback. The red outline makes it easier to see that the ground floor of the building and subterranean levels are outside the fault line setback area even with the additional one-foot modification to the side yard setbacks. 
So the project aligns with California's housing goal in that the project furthers the regional housing needs assessment goal of 3,933 units, which is divided into four income levels, 1,066 units for very low income households, 689 units for low income households, 682 units for moderate income households, and 1,496 units for above moderate income households. Specifically, this project will provide 88 units, which will reduce the, the regional housing needs assessment for very low income households by 39 units, low income units by 47 units, and moderate income units by two. The property will be deed restricted to ensure that the units are available for low income households for at least 55 years. The project addresses diverse housing needs, especially for lower income households. This goal is also identified in the general plan. The Housing Accountability Act and state density bonus laws limit the ability to deny or require changes to the project in respect to the number of units, height of the building, the parking count, the use of the parking by the neighboring church, the additional six foot setback in the front of the building above the first floor, the total amount of open space provided in the building, and the location of common open space. Where the commission has discretion is within the modification request to the um, side yard setback and the rear yard setback. The commission is tasked with competing priorities with state and region-wide need for housing, particularly more affordable housing and the concerns of the public regarding the, side back, the setback modifications. Uh, there has been extensive comments from the neighborhood through letters received and meetings held with staff. On the screen are just some of the comments received. I won't dwell too deep into the specifics because we have residents in the audience who can share their thoughts on these matters more effectively. But to highlight the primary concerns voiced by the neighborhood, the height and the density of the, the project have garnered significant attention and feedback. It's important to note that these are aspects that the Planning Commission does not have discretion over. The project qualifies for exemption under CEQA Guidelines Section 15332 for infill development projects and CEQA Guidelines Section 15194 for affordable housing. Section 15332 for infill development projects apply to classes of projects which have been determined to not have a significant impact, effect, significant effect on the environment and shall therefore be exempt from the provisions of CEQA. The project has five thresholds required to qualify for the exemption. The project is consistent with the general plan designation and zoning designation, including provisions in the zoning ordinance that allow requests for minor modifications for up to 10%. The proposed development occurs on a site less than five acres, 0.33 acres to be exact. The project site has no value as a habitat for endangered rare or threatened species as the site is located in an urban environment. And approval of the project would not result in significant effects relating to traffic, noise, air, or water quality. This project does not rise to the level to require a vehicle miles traveled analysis. Noise is expected to be affected on a temporary basis during construction, which is typical for developments of a housing project. A project-specific construction air quality study was provided and found that the project would cause less than significant impact and that no mitigation measures are necessary. As a proposed project would provide new metered service connections as needed to connect the existing water mainlines adjacent to the project site. And lastly, the site can be adequately served by all required utilities and public services. There has been no evidence presented indicating a significant impact that would necessitate an EIR. The project has also met the element require, elements required for section 15194 exemption for uh, affordable housing. 
For instance, the project meets all the thresholds criteria set forth in section 15192 as outlined in the staff report. As noted previously, the site is 0.33 acres, less than five acres in area. The project is located within an incorporated city of at least 1,000 people per square mile. The project site has also been previously developed for qualified urban uses and is adjacent to project sites developed with qualified urban uses. And lastly, the project consists of 89 units, of which 47 are affordable to low-income households, and the applicant will provide legal commitments to ensure continued availability and the use of the housing units for lower-income households for a period of at least 55 years. So overall, um, the project meets the applicable development standards for the 100% affordable housing projects with the approval of the modification requests. Staff acknowledges the significant opposition from the neighborhood. The project, however, represents a substantial step towards addressing the pressing need for affordable housing in the city of West Hollywood and the state of California. The project fulfills the commitment to increasing affordable housing opportunities and adheres to city goals and policy objectives, which benefits are substantial and far-reaching. Therefore, staff recommends approval of the application with the adoption of draft resolution PC23-1534 as condition with the three modifications. Um, that concludes my presentation. Uh, I'm here for any questions you may have. Thank you. Do we have any questions for staff? None? Vice Chair Lombardi? Thank you, Chair Carbiero. Uh, a couple quick questions for staff pertaining to resolution conditions in the um, attachment. Um, specifically looking at page 12.6, or sorry, page 30, item 12.6, um, this exempts the building from applicable guest permits and street permits um, and provides an allotment of 51 day pass, visitor passes per year. Is this a standard condition that we have, and is the uh, 50 visitor passes can a um, discretionary item? Uh, yeah, so this is um, a common uh, condition that's applied to new development um, projects or housing projects. Um, and the second part of the question, sorry, what, would you ask for the second part? About the 50 visitor one-day passes, is that a discretionary item? Uh, yes, so that is discretionary if you would like um, to change that. Okay, and then um, an additional question, looking at page 12, items 1.9 and 1.10, it outlines that there's minimum lease requirements for the building. Could you go over that briefly for us, those two specific conditions? Sure, um, let me just pull up the conditions. All right, so these conditions um, cover uh, short-term short uh, rental ordinance. Um, basically, we require that the, the properties not be used for um, uses like Airbnb. So they have to have a long-term occupancy. Um, and there's also a condition that requires that the, the apartment leases are, um, are at least a year. And uh, that's the conditions for 1.9 and 1.10 in a nutshell. Thank you. Um, that will be my, those will be my questions for right now. I'll have additional questions when the time is appropriate to raise them. Thank you. 
Commissioner Copeland. Okay, thank you, Chair. Um, I'll, I'll begin with some uh, historic preservation commission questions, uh, if you don't mind. Um, I know this went before HPC, and um, they had concerns that they did not receive sufficient information to pass comments on to or recommendations on to planning commission. Um, and I noticed that we did not in our packet have the original resolution um, regarding the local cultural resource designation of the church. Um, because it is man mentioned on page 11 of the staff report that um, CEQA guidelines mention substantial adverse change as being relocation, destruction, or alteration of the resource or its immediate surroundings. So I know the homes were not eligible for designation, but are we saying that the landscaping and the homes that are part of the immediate surroundings that will be demolished are not relevant to the CEQA exemption? Is that correct? Um, sure, I can take that one. <clears throat> so, if I can just make sure I'm understanding your question correctly, you are asking about the language that defines a substantial adverse change to a historic resource, and it includes the building and its immediate surroundings. Correct. And your question is, are the, the fact that this was once one site, even though these buildings are not in and of themselves historic, do they constitute the immediate surroundings that would uh, create a substantial adverse change on the resource. Correct. Um, okay, so in short, no. Um, we've, we've looked at this and there's been historic resource assessments done. Um, our our um, historic resource consultant has looked at it as well. And I don't, the, the fact that this is a separate site now and the the surrounding area is not included. The surrounding area that is affected is not included in the designation. So it doesn't, it would not represent a substantial adverse change on the resource. So it would have to be part of the designation to be considered immediate surroundings? Um, it would have to contribute to the resource. It would have to be part of the designation in that um, the, the, the test here for CEQA is a pretty high bar for projects that, don't, that aren't occurring on the same site. It would have to degrade the resource in such a way that it is no longer able to convey its significance as a historical resource. So if, you know, if this building were built and, and the church no longer is recognizable, as what it is, it's, it's very hard to have a, a development adjacent or next to a resource that, that affects it to that level. Um, but, you know, the, this church is on a corner, it would still be visible, all of the components of it are still intact and still visible from, from most of the public angles where they would be visible. Um, it, it's not being damaged or it's not being demolished, it's not being moved. I mean, these are the, the big, uh, more substantial changes that would rise to that level for a project that's on a separate lot. Okay, uh, right now there are no limitations on what percentage of a cultural resource can be obscured by construction, because I know in the resolution for 
designation, it does mention the leaded and stained glass windows on the north mm -hmm. and south of the building. So right yeah. now there is nothing uh, either on a state level or a local level that says 50% of the building cannot be obscured or there's nothing that's... No, no, there isn't. Against that, mm -hmm. okay. Um, I think that's the only the questions that I had about historic preservation. Um, I do have some questions about UDAS and the uh, agreement. Um, if someone else has questions related to it, I can, I can address that later. If other commissioners have questions right now? Or should I go ahead? Just go ahead. Okay, yeah. thank you, Chair. Um, so to confirm, there was, we don't have uh, access to that, but there was um, an agreement in place with, uh, with UDAS as far as, uh, as part of this loan guarantee. There was to be cooperation between UDAS and the, and the applicant, is that correct? We don't have access to that in our packet. So. We don't, and it's not within the commission's purview tonight. Okay. Um, we can confirm that in the staff report there were there was mention of um, quite a few recommendations for design changes that were not implemented. Is that correct? We can we can confirm that since it's in the staff report. Is that right? Right. It's in the staff report. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so with regard to the laundry facility location and disbursement, this is a, that's an objective standard in our municipal code, but we can't enforce that because of insufficient specificity in the code, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, so we cannot compel uh, a more, a distribution that might be um, more equitable or, or sensible in this situation. Well, um, the code does say that it has to be accessible by um, the residents, and this laundry room on the, the seventh floor is accessible um, to all the residents by the elevator. Okay. I was just thinking, like, so from, say, a senior or mobility standpoint, the difficulty of going up to the roof to do laundry or whatever, that's not, that's not an issue that's, that's relevant um, to so, the location of that. Um, so per the building code, um, accessibility, if means that if they have access to it, but you the elevators, um, they, they have access to it. Okay, so that's, that's, that's enough as far as work is concerned. Yeah. Okay, because um, I know that's another thing that, that UDAS did recommend, relocation of the manager's unit and the laundry from the, the upper floor. Um, so how many housing units will that upper floor actually be providing? Just the manager's unit, is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So the state requires us, if I understand this correctly, to allow three extra stories in an affordable building, but there's no requirement that any or all of those extra floors actually provide any additional units. There's no requirement that there has to be a certain number of units on that floor or any other of those Correct. three. Correct. There's no requirement like that. Um, as long as it's kind of used for the residential use, um, then it's, it's okay. Fine. Uh, there was also mention of the uh, use of materials that uh, from UDAS that the city discourages that aren't in line with our climate action and adaptation plan. Is that correct? That's again some uh, you know something that's not an objective standard or not something that we can compel to be changed. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, the two bedroom units that are reserved for the church. Mm -hmm. Um, in order to make this building 100% affordable, there, I know there has been some question about that. 
Um, so those are moderate income requirement, correct? Right, so they are restricted to moderate. Okay, mm -hmm. so would we know specifically who they were for, or is this, uh, they would have to meet the same requirements as any other tenant would as far as income and um, yeah, yeah. the same proof of as yeah, any other so tenant? they follow the same rules of... Um, they just would that. not come from our inclusionary list, they would come from the church itself would be providing these are the, the tenants that are going to be there, is that correct? That's, yeah, that's our understanding. Okay. Um, the units that, um, they name, the, the units that are in this, the, particularly the, um, the micro unit, well, the, the, the studios are 242 to 349 square feet for studios. Uh -huh. And the bed, one bedroom's 376 to 632. So those are considerable number of what we would call micro units, is that correct? I mean, it doesn't say micro units in the staff report, but. Yeah, so we don't have a definition for. We don't have a size standard or design standards in place yet for right. micro units, but we know that the standard studio is 400 to 600 square feet. So these would be considerably smaller than average, even if they're not defined as micro units. Hi. Okay. Yeah. Um, do we have a standard in place or can we condition any requirement for a universal design so that aging in place is possible? Um, how many units are going to be configured for those who have uh, disability or mobility issues or perhaps they could be ambulatory now and then have wheelchair or, or walker needs later with, are the do, you know, hallways, doorways, everything, is that going to be, is that a consideration or a requirement that they're wide enough? So we can talk about that with the applicant, so I'll defer that to the applicant. I don't know if we had any yeah. standard in place. We don't have it. No, a we do, in yeah, place we do not have any standard in place. Um, okay. Standards. Um, the urban art requirement, is there any mention yet of the, how that's being met? I um, see that. So there the, is a condition that they can either pay the, the public art fee or they can uh, provide art on site. Um, so the applicant has a choice. They can speak further to that. Okay. Um, I think, uh, I think that's all for me right now. Again, the applicant may answer the, just the remaining few questions. So I appreciate your patience. No and, problem. And thank you for answering. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Commissioner Edwards, do you have any questions? No? Commissioner Grubler? My question was already asked and answered, right? Vice Chair Lombardi? No? Great. No? Okay. Um, so Commissioner Disclosures, um, Commissioner Matos. I uh, met with residents and we discussed matters contained in the staff report and I also met with the applicant's representative and we discussed matters contained in the staff report as well. Commissioner Gregoire. No? Vice Chair Lombardi. No disclosures. I met with the applicant's representative and we discussed items in the staff report. Commissioner Cooper. I met with uh, residents and we discussed matters contained in the staff report and I did make uh, multiple visits to the site. Thank you, Chair. Commissioner Edwards. I made multiple uh, visits to the site. Great, thank you. Vice Chair Lombardi will give us a brief design review update. 
Thank you. Um, I will start with saying that if you uh, do read the paragraphs in page 11 of the staff report, I think that that does capture our overall sentiment pretty well um, during the design review um, subcommittee meeting that we had in March. And, um, you know, some of, to, to sort of add to what was included in the staff report, there were some discussions about improvement to the ground level experience. Um, well, let me start just to back for a minute. Overall, we um, felt like the design was nice. It was it was fairly well received. We did note that the massing was quite large, um, and we did discuss about the south elevation in particular and trying to um, help create some uh, better variety there and a little bit of the front elevation as well at the entrance. Um, and then the ground level, the experience at ground level at the southwest corner, which is sort of the most prominent corner as you walk up the street, was also a topic of discussion. Um, so, so overall, those, the, that was sort of the, the framework of what we're looking at. Um, I, there was some discussion about materiality. That mostly concentrated around the courtyard, which uh, is fairly narrow, and we saw in the renderings what felt like a lot of hard surfaces. So we, we did have some questions about materiality and trying to make sure that it didn't become this sort of acoustical um, echo chamber. Um, there was also a general note about trying to improve and create as much open space as possible within the structure. Um, including smaller open space opportunities, and there has been some reconfiguration of, of the building and design since our meeting. Um, we did also talk about uh, or, or recommended the relocation of the manager's unit to the ground floor from the upper floor, there, the rooftop. And then also um, there was discussion about trying to more evenly distribute laundry facilities, um, not necessarily on every floor, but maybe stagger them in a few locations. And then um, you know, the building height was noted. Uh, it seems like the only real way to work around that may be to reduce the actual unit count. Um, and then also relating to the units, they are, they are fairly tight. Um, so we had a lot of questions about the configuration of the units, discussion on making them efficient within a limited amount of space, making sure ventilation is well addressed and, and the like. Um, I think also, um, you know, within that discussion, there was um, talk about the balconies, and I think that some of that's included in, in the material we have today from the applicant as well. But, um, you know, one suggestion that was made was um, in an effort to help regulate the facade, um, that not all the balconies need to, to project as much or that there could be almost like a Juliet balcony that had less of an outdoor space. The doors could open and maybe there was more interior space and less exterior space. So some of that has been implemented, but maybe a little bit differently than we envisioned. Um, what else did we talk about? Uh, I mentioned noise. Um, we did note the dog run and the setback with the dog run and that experience. It's been shuffled backwards a little bit on the site, I believe, um, relative to what we saw before. And then um, we did offer the opportunity to come back to design review subcommittee, but we noted that it was a compressed timeline on this project and just said we were available um, if desired. Um, but that was our, our overall take on the project. Um, so it was really focused on the refinements of the interior use of the space and um, improving some of the elevations. And, and so some of that's been incorporated in this design and other parts um, kind of remain as they were. Thank you, Vice Chair Lombardi. Mm -hmm. um, so now we have our presentation from the applicant. 
I understand the applicant is in the house. Uh, you have 10 minutes. Please state your name and city of residence upon approaching the podium. Chair, members, Chair, members of the commission, uh, I'm Jeff Seymour, uh, Westlake Village, Seymour Consulting Group. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I, what we wanted to do is request for an additional five minutes. Uh, this is a very uh, detailed project, and in order for us to provide the kind of present presentation we believe we need to have, we're requesting the five additional five minutes. Yeah, staff recommends against that. We think that we'll be able to handle all the details during I'm question, um, during questions and answers. So, I understood. It's yeah, difficult to hear you. Sorry. Okay. So we discussed this earlier, and staff recommends that we don't add five. Get into the uh, precedence of adding additional minutes to the um, your public presentation, and that most of those items could be handled during question and answers. Oh. I, I, what I, I think I heard you say is that you would extend if you extend the 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 time for those who are going to speak. I, I'm having trouble hearing you. I'm sorry. Can we have legal help me out with this one? This is an odd question, given what we discussed earlier today. I would say it's up to the commission uh, and in their discretion whether or not they want to grant the additional time uh, from the applicant. So I would say it, it rests with the commission. And um, I don't know if there's. Should yeah. I call a vote? Can, can I make a comment? Should I call a vote? I'd say you can discuss amongst one another. I don't know that a formal vote is required, but you okay. can take a vote if you'd like, just to ping the, the rest of the commission on that request. So is the commission open to having additional five minutes? Commissioner Matos? May I make a comment, Chair? Um, I would be open to granting the additional five minutes. However, I would only support that if we allow members of the community the maximum amount of time to address the commission. I think it's only fair that we extend the public comment period if we do extend uh, the applicant's time. Thank you. That's what the commission's done in the past. So if all the commissioners are open to that, Vice Chair Lombardi. Uh, my note would be that historically there have been times where we have a lot of members of the public and we've actually reduced the time from three to two minutes. So in that framework, I'd be concerned about giving the applicant an additional five minutes and not giving the public more time. So I would, I would recommend we just leave everything as is and try to have the applicant's presentation stay within the allotted time frame as best as possible and maintain the allotted time frame for um, the public as well. And Chair, if I can intervene, we have approximately 40 speakers signed up to speak. Right. Any comment? Commissioner Edwards? Uh, Commissioner Copeland? I, uh, I would lean toward leaving as is, but as long as the public is given additional time, if the applicant is, you know, I, I, I could go either way, but I think it has to, in fairness, it needs to be either that way or leave it as it is. Commissioner Edwards? Um, I lean towards what Commissioner Matos recommended, and they just add up plenty of snacks, so I'm ready. <laughs> Commissioner Gregor? Your 
time we're taking to debate this, we should just give him an extra five minutes. <laughs> All right, so we never implied that we would cut the public comments short. So I'm, I'm thinking that there's at least four of us who are in favor of extending the presentation for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Again, Jeff Seymour, Seymour Consulting Group. Uh, first and foremost, we want to thank uh, staff, uh, especially Mr. Raff, Ms. Alkire, for uh, assisting us as we move forward, coming here tonight. In order to move as quickly as we can, uh, just to let you know who our present presenters will be, we'll begin with Jesse Slansky, the president of the corporation. Uh, it'll be followed by Michael Contento, who's the partner at uh, Office Untitled. And then it'll follow uh, finally with uh, Ryan Lederman, a member of the corporation's board, and our pro bono project council. Chair, while they're setting up, if we can just remind everyone to speak directly into the microphones for our viewers on Zoom can um, completely hear us and in the audience. It's a little difficult. Thank you. Hi, good evening. I'm thrilled to be here tonight. My name is Jesse Slansky, and I'm the president and CEO and I'm hearing a, uh, it's coming through the Zoom, sorry. Is that okay? Okay, how's that? Okay, great, okay. Good evening, I'm thrilled to be here tonight. My name is Jesse Slansky. I'm the president and CEO of West Hollywood Community Housing Corporation. We're a community-based nonprofit organization. Our mission is building homes and providing services that move people from insecurity to stability, and we've been doing it for 19, uh, since 1986. We got our start in West Hollywood, and over the years we've expanded. We currently house over 1,200 residents in 785 units in 22 buildings in three cities. 15 are right here in West Hollywood. We transform the lives of individuals and families. We pair the stability of housing with on-site supportive services. Our beautiful buildings house people. It's our supportive services that keep them housed. Across our portfolio, these services are voluntary, offered free of charge, and have increased health outcomes across the board, reduced isolation for seniors, and broken the cycle of poverty for working families. I don't think I have to tell you, there's a housing crisis. We just opened our Mariposa Lily property in Koreatown. We received over 10,000 applications for 42 units. At our grand opening, one of our new residents came up to me, hugged me with tears in her eyes, thanking me for the life-changing opportunity of affordable housing. She's worked the same full-time job for years, but her salary was never enough to keep up with the constantly rising rents. Despite gainful employment, she was forced to navigate unstable living situations. Here in West Hollywood, the residents of the Courtyard of La Brea are about to celebrate 10 years. 
One resident, Angelo, is here tonight. He's a lifelong actor who was compromised from the stress of figuring out how to afford rising rents with a stable income. Now, as he marks 10 years of, of housing stability, you'll hear it from himself tonight. Affordable housing is a lifeline. There is a housing crisis. Big challenges require bold actions. When completed, 910 Weatherly will be the foundation of a new life for those lucky enough to win the lottery. On behalf of the LGBT youth transitioning out of foster care, those living with chronic illness, and the many, many members of West Hollywood's workforce who can't afford to live in their own community, thank you very much for allowing us to be part of the solution. Okay, thank you, Jesse. Thank you, commissioners. My name is Michael Contento. I'm a principal at Office Untitled, and we're excited to share the project with you tonight. Um, as you know, the project site is at 910 North Weatherly Drive in an area characterized by other multifamily developments. The proposed project is a 100% affordable, a seven-story, 100% affordable housing project with 89 units in an R4B zone. Uh, which allows for unlimited density and a maximum height of seven stories and 78 feet. Shown here with the height of the adjacent five-story residential building at 55 feet, four inches. Now, we don't, we don't intend to build to that maximum height. The goal of the project is to find a balance between uh, the need for housing and an understanding of the context. So the first thing we did was to set a portion of the building below grade and remove the upper level on the north half of the building to lower that north height to six and a half stories and 69 feet, eight inches. We also removed the south half of the upper level to create an outdoor amenity area and lower that south height to six stories and 68 feet, uh, four inches. We then extended that deck level uh, around the building as an additional setback to recess that partial upper level and reduce the height of the main volume to 59 feet measured from the north grade. In addition to reducing the height, we also carved out portions of the facade to further reduce the massing and create a collection of smaller volumes as opposed to one larger building. And lastly, we carved out a series of alternating inset balconies to create a dynamic facade that emphasizes depth, texture, and movement. And the result is a project that can provide much-needed affordable housing in West Hollywood with a unique design that can fit within its context. The design language of the alternating balconies wraps the building, providing natural light, shade, and ventilation for the units. And we carved out of that envelope to break up and split the massing into smaller elements. Seen here is a five-and-a-half-story volume uh, to the north on the left, stepping down to a five-story volume uh, to the south on the right, each with a uh, recessed six-level setback from the edge above, and with the cutout serving as a connection between open spaces and amenities. The exterior is clad in a profiled metal panel, which contrasts with the composite wood material in the insets, both of which provide depth and texture at the surface. So the building creates that depth, texture, and a play of light and shadow across the facade at the scale of the cutouts, the inset balconies and screens, and the material itself. The view from the northwest shows the building in context with the five-story residential building to the north and the church tower to the south. 
And here the west elevation shows the proposed building height well below the allowable height as it steps down to follow the slope of the site. The project is also required to widen the street, so the building is shifted approximately three feet, eight inches to the east in order to accommodate that widening. The building is also placed outside of the uh, earthquake fault zone to the north, and the distance between the proposed building and the existing residential buildings ranges from 15 to 18 feet to the north, 20 feet, two inches to the east, and 18 feet, 10 inches to the south. The ground floor contains the lobby, office, uh, residential units, amenities, outdoor space, and landscaping. Level two contains the central courtyard, uh, which is connected to the lobby by a main stair. And by removing a unit on the west facade, the courtyard is able to extend out to Weatherly Drive to provide more light and usable space. And here you can see that connection to the lobby as the courtyard extends west as well as the emphasis on outdoor space, amenities, and landscaping within the project. All of the units are organized around the central courtyard, which allows for natural ventilation through the units. Uh, level seven is a partial floor, as most of the area is outdoor space, which is divided into smaller programmed areas. Uh, this level also contains the community room, offices, and laundry facilities, all of which is set back from the edge uh, by the additional two to eight foot setback on this level. Above that, we have the roof with a combination of vegetative roof elements uh, and PV panels. The project also proposes three levels of subterranean parking with 62 total parking stalls. Um, and the studio units shown here are similar in design to uh, and layout to our recently approved uh, units at 8025 Santa Monica Boulevard. And like those units, uh, these emphasize flexibility uh, and storage and prioritize uh, flexibility and storage within a limited footprint by providing built-in storage walls that contain closets, uh, utility closets, kitchen, refrigerator, pantry, fold-down tables, uh, and additional storage. In addition to the large exterior windows, each unit also contains um, an operable transom window on the opposite wall above the entry door to provide light and natural ventilation through the unit. Overall, this is a project that addresses the urgent need for housing uh, with a unique design that also addresses the context and emphasizes depth, texture, natural lighting, ventilation, amenities, outdoor spaces, and landscaping. Hi, good evening, commissioners. My name is Ryan Lederman, and it's a privilege to be here tonight. I just want to address a few items. Your discretion is quite limited tonight um, because of the state density bonus law, um, the Housing Accountability Act, uh, and as well as the CEQA exemptions, um, which apply to this project. Um, staff in the staff report uh, covered extensively um, the limited discretion that this commission has um, we know that there's such a chronic need for affordable housing in the city, especially considering the recently approved housing element, which identifies the need for housing in the city. Um, I went on the HCD website uh, this morning. The city's accomplished 4% of its RENA allocation in this compliance period. So the need is real, the need is great, 
and the need is for this project. Um, thank you, and uh, I believe uh, we're available to answer any questions. Thank you. That concludes the applicant's presentation. Yeah? Okay. Um, so we will now begin our public, oh sorry, do we have any questions for the applicant? Commissioner Matos? Thank you, Chair Carriero. Uh, quick question for probably the design team. Uh, I actually have two of them. Uh, the first question I have is um, with reference to the design and windows in the interiors of the units, my understanding is that there's going to be the main window that faces the exterior and there will also be an additional small window on the opposite side of the unit, is that correct? That is correct, yes. Okay, so that there will be able ability to open that window, create airflow and things like that throughout the unit? Yes. Okay. Uh, my next question is um, with regard to how the parking would be operated in the facility. The spaces that are in the facility that are going to be used for the church, those will not be assigned to a resident in off times, correct? So they would be free and open for, let's say, visitors or loading zones or things like that? Correct, yes. Has the applicant team considered implementing a loading zone on site with those spaces during off hours? Just curious. I'm sorry, the question was the spaces inside the, inside the building? Yes, we, for we residential have, use when they're not being used by the church. Have we so, considered it as a loading zone? We haven't, but they're open and available for. So they would be open if you know, there was an Amazon delivery or something like that? Sure. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there, it, it will be open first come first serve guest parking. Okay. It's not reserved for the church. But there's been no plan so far to implement one of them as like a permanent Pack delivery zone or something yeah. like that. Okay, thank you. All right, any other questions? Uh, Vice Chair Lombardi? Oh yeah, I just had a quick follow-up question to my Oh, Commissioner Edwards? Yeah, go ahead. So quick follow-up question about the parking. What is your experience? Is, is what you mapped out for your parking, is this based on what's required and also your experiences with your other 100% affordable units. So the requirement is zero. Uh, this is assigning uh, half space uh, per uh, half to one ratio of parking to units, which is in line with our experience across our portfolio. Well, no, like as far as like loading, like to his question. Oh. Of Commissioner Mato, it's about the loading. Uh, specifically. Or having like assigning a specific area Generally, what is most favorable is having a um, loading zone in front of the property, which would involve taking away a street spot, which is at the discretion of the city, and that's not something that we, we are advocating or requesting. Thank you. Commissioner Pilfer? Thank you, Chair. Um, we're still on the subject of, of parking, some of which is going to be shared according to the report during certain hours and then would be available to residents during other hours. How is that going to be enforced? Is there any plan in place for that? I mean, suppose it's supposed to be for the church, but a resident still parked there. How, how would you logistically sure. handle the sharing? Sure. Well, there'll be signage reserving the spaces, right. and it would be handled the way any uh, parking viol 
the other spaces for the residents will also be assigned to specific units and it would be handled the way any parking violation would be handled which would be a lease violation to the resident and um, their car would be towed their car could be towed there could be a lease violation it could eventually result in an in eviction if somebody were not following the building's rules and if it were a visitor or a delivery person or rideshare person and they just were, were lingering they would it would receive a ticket or parking enforcement because this is on private well it property. would be unusual for it to be some kind of um, person who is not a resident or a resident's guest because it will be a secured parking structure right so um, it would the car would be towed you shouldn't you don't anticipate a lot of problems with that with sharing that um, with regard to my question for staff earlier about um, ADA accessibility, um, are there any units that are being designed or reserved for those with mobility issues and would it be a, a, a problem as far as hallways, doorways for someone who lost some of that mobility and had to use a wheelchair or walker without having to move and allowing them to age in place? I'm happy to say 100% of the units will be designed for aging in place. We pride ourselves at being at the vanguard. We instituted universal design principles in our properties about five years ago, which means all of our units, with uh, every single unit is designed to work for people both with and without mobility impairments um, and be, ad be adaptable for whatever their changing needs are. Okay, and you don't anticipate any issues with, even though there's an elevator, um, if someone did have a wheelchair or accessibility issues, mobility issues, to get in an elevator and maybe go up several floors with their laundry to do laundry and come back down? No, our Westmore Linden property in Koreatown is seven stories, 93 units for seniors. Mm -hmm. There's one central laundry room on the ground floor, so the residents who are on the seventh floor need to come to downstairs come in the elevator. And it happens to be a wonderful amenity. It becomes a second community room for the building. It's a social hub. And particularly for our seniors, social isolation is so crippling. It results in negative health outcomes, uh, cognitive decline. So having this opportunity to socialize with their residents, with the other residents, it, it really is a not only a physical design element, but it's a social design element that works quite successfully. Thank you. Those are all my questions right now, Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair Lombardi. Yes, I have one more uh, parking and design-related question. So, um, as looking through the plans, is is there a gate into the parking garage? Yes, it'll be a secured parking structure. Where is the gate located? Um, the gate will be uh, at the bottom of the ramp. At the, you go in? At the we bottom do have of the structure. ramp. Yeah, we do have structure uh, near the top, so it'd have to be behind that because we do have necessary structure that comes down to the driveway. So if, if someone comes down there and it's locked and they, they can't get in or whatever, they have to back up the ramp to get out? We'll have an intercom box yeah, they'll mounted be... much higher up the driveway. Yeah. Okay. So in theory, they would only make it that far before they would go down the ramp if they weren't able to get in for some reason. Yeah. Okay. Would, yeah. And then... From an operational standpoint, how is that being managed with the idea that some of the parking is accessible for use by the church at certain times of day? So the church is our partner, and these will be their spaces to manage, and there are a couple of options, um, but we'll see what works in practice. One of the options is for people to call the intercom 
and for the pastor who will be living on site or the groundskeeper who will be living on site to let them in. Alternatively, a church volunteer can um, be like an usher greeting people on Sunday mornings and, and opening the gate. Um, uh, a third is for uh, perhaps the church to only allow the, uh, their trustees to use this parking and they can give them a garage door opener. So it's really, we'll have to work this out in practice, but there are a lot of, a lot of options for us to, for us to, for okay. us. Okay, and one unit is for the, the church, right? Two units are for two, the church. Two, okay, and those are low or moderate income? Moderate income. Moderate income, okay, thank you. Sure. Commissioner Gerbard, do you have any questions? No question. Commissioner Matos? Thank you. Just have a quick follow-up question, if I may. This is with regards to the discretionary modifications to the north and the south, and then to uh, the rear of the property. Um, you all are requesting 10% um, deviation from both, about one foot reduction from the north and the south, and then you're looking at another one foot six inches in the rear. What does this allow you to accomplish in terms of um, unit size, in terms of building scope, what does is, what is this modification allow uh, for you all to accomplish in terms of housing? So with those modifications, um, basically we're able to provide the units uh, that are proposed on site without those modifications, even though it's a very small amount of space, one, one foot on the north, one foot on the south, one foot six on the east. Um, without those, we would not be able to provide uh, the unit layouts to have livable units. Um, so we would be talking about a reduction in units without those. Is that just across the board, a, a reduction in unit size across the board? Should that one foot deviation not be granted? Uh, yeah, basically without the, without the two feet in the north-south direction and the, the one foot six in the east, uh, there would be several stacks of units that would need to be removed because they just simply wouldn't fit. We wouldn't be able to lay them out um, as livable units. So that would redu redu reduce the amount of units? In the it room. would. It would re reduce the unit count, yes. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. No further questions. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. All good? Okay, great. <laughs> we will now begin the public um, comment portion of the hearing. All questions and comments on this matter are to be directed at the Commission, not the audience. David, do we have any public comments? Uh, we do, Chair. Um, we'll start our public comments here in the council chambers and then we'll follow up and uh, close it up with a Zoom platform. Um, our first public speaker will be Arthur Bertstein, followed by Carl Lott. You will have three minutes. Uh, please state your name and city of residence. Good evening, Arthur Bernstein, West Hollywood resident, 35 years and 25-year resident of the building right next door, and I'm speaking in opposition. First of all, on behalf of myself, the individuals, homeowners association, and the residents of the neighboring buildings, I'm affirming everything that's contained in the letter received by the city on behalf of attorney Corin Khan dated November 13, 2023, which is in the record. Now, given our small amount of time to speak, I'm assuming that the Planning Commission has taken the time to, to read and fully understand all the arguments, both legal and practical, in Mr. Khan's letter. The Commission should also be aware that we feel the ability to present all the arguments was harmed tonight due to the City's failure to respond to our public records request in a timely fashion, or in one case, not at all. 
The, develop, uh, the neighbors of this small uh, part of West Hollywood have always supported an affordable housing project on this uh, property, including, a tw including what was to be a 20-unit uh, project that was promised to the church and, and a, part, a material part of their agreement when they sold the property, not an 89-unit um, monstrosity. To the point just made they, that you had to give this new uh, relief for the setback, all along they had 89 units. Suddenly they're now saying that they wouldn't be able to have 89 units. So that's a sudden change uh, that is uh, kind of perplexing. Um, in view of the, the loan covenants that you spoke of earlier, uh, the design review board spent hours, and that apparently went very uh, went nowhere. Mr. Lombardi and, and Ms. Jones took great effort to put together large binders of materials and questions to, to attempt to explain issues impacting all of the stakeholders, and that seemed to go nowhere. The loan agreement does provide for uh, the developers to collaborate with UDA, and uh, and that does not seem to have happened. Maybe the uh, the intent of the of that needs to be uh, made more clear in future agreements. The city should require a complete EIR. This would give the residents, stakeholders, and our city the information, backup, and comfort to know that we are protected. We want more than the bare minimum that has to be done. We want actually the EIR to protect us. Mr. Slansky instead found various consulting firms that would evaluate different aspects of the project and give him reports that supported the outcome that he desired. The city owes it to itself and the current and future stakeholders to do a full EIR. The loan agreement provided several matters, including that the project be 100% affordable housing, not 98%. I know we just heard that they would be moderate income, but, they, but this deal was part of a multi-million dollar transaction with the church that employs the people that will be in those two units. And to say now that they're simply uh, moderate uh, income people that are not, uh, implying that they're not uh, associated with the church is illusory. This was a multi-million dollar deal that that was a significant part of it. So I don't know whether or not this truly is 100% affordable housing. Um, the, the modification that is being requested on the setbacks uh, is, is, is something that is new, um, I, that, the, that the commission has discretion. This should have been, quite frankly, something that would have been dealt with in those Juliet balconies uh, if, if, if they would have listened. The see-through materials on the balconies are a terrible uh, trouble, given that everybody will be able to see the belongings, the unsightly belongings of the neighbors. Arthur, your time has expired. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Carl Lott, followed by Abby Land. My name is Carl Lott. I'm a resident of West Hollywood. I've lived in West Hollywood for more than 30 years. I live two blocks from this project. I am the chair of the board of West Hollywood Community Housing Corporation, and I'm speaking in support of the project. I joined the board a number of years ago because of my commitment to addressing housing instability in Los Angeles, in West Hollywood, throughout our community. I have been very proud to be part of this organization which is actually taking action that addresses housing instability. We have such a need in this community. Um, 
to, to provide additional housing at every level, but especially at the level of, of for people who, who can't otherwise afford to live anywhere near where they work. This project was designed to provide as many units as possible, not the minimum amount. We are trying to provide housing for, for more people, not fewer people. So I, I'm actually very pleased that we were able to come up with a design that I think fits the neighborhood and provides housing for the maximum number of people that we can fit on this site in a comfortable and beautiful uh, environment. When we, the other uh, communities that our, our organization has built have been beautiful, have blended into the neighborhood. If you walk down the street next to them, you would never know that you were walking next to an affordable housing community. The, the residents thrive when they move in. It, it's, it's heartbreaking to, to hear the stories of each of these residents who before this had lived such, um, had such struggles in their lives. Providing secure, stable housing transforms their lives. And um, I think that it's really incumbent on all of us and every community to try to do what we can to provide as many units as possible of affordable housing. And I'm very pleased to support this project for that reason. Thank you. Uh, Abby Land, to be followed by Andrew Solomon. Thank you. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Abby Land, and I'm a longtime resident here in the city of West Hollywood. I'm also a longtime supporter of the West Hollywood Housing Corporation because I so believe in their mission to develop affordable housing that is perfect for communities. I beg you tonight to please approve the staff recommendation and the resolution for um, 910, 916 North Weatherly. You have an opportunity tonight, as you've heard and you've read your staff report, we need more affordable housing. Um, this project was designed to maximize an opportunity, an opportunity to change people's lives. This project will give young people, people coming out of the foster system, a chance to begin their life here in West Hollywood, a chance to begin building for the next stage of their life. And you know, when I was reading the staff report, I was thinking back to when I first came to West Hollywood. I didn't come out of the foster care system, but I had hardly no money. And if I had not found an affordable unit here, I wouldn't have been able to live in West Hollywood. The time was then I was able to do that. Um, this makes a big, big difference. The West Hollywood Housing Corporation has an amazing reputation of building quality, quality units. And in fact, not that I have exact evidence, but I don't think anyone's property value ever went down because one of their projects were there. In fact, it probably increased. The thing, too, that people need to realize is folks that come into these units, they are going to be scrutinized more than any of our neighbors are scrutinized. I live in a condo. I can't do a background check on a new homeowner. I have to just accept a neighbor who comes in. All of these people will be um, have background checks, will make sure that they meet all of the qualifications. And when they move in, they get the services that they need. So especially for those folks with chronic disease, to be able to live in a quality unit to know what their unit is going to cost and be able to get the services. As we heard, it's life-changing for people. 
this city has a long history of caring about people i know that this is a tall building but you know what i bet when they built the five story building next door neighbors came out and said it's too tall it's horrible and you know what now those people are part of our community we have an opportunity to bring in 89 units, 88 units of, um, for people who really need affordable housing, who can become part of our community, part of the fabric of our community, and help us um, continue. Because when you people see this project, then I know that they're gonna wanna see more projects as well, and I hope we always get to support the development of affordable housing here in our city. Thank you very much for your consideration. Andrew Solomon to be followed by David Nash. Hi, good evening. Uh, Andrew Solomon. I've lived in West Hollywood for nine years. Um, I support the housing project at 910 Weatherly, and I support the West Hollywood Community Housing Corporation. Uh, West Hollywood is a beacon. It's a sanctuary city. It's a, a city on a hill uh, for all the misfit toys to come here and belong, but we're out of space. Um, there's nowhere that we, that we have in our city to accept um, these new, new people who, who need a place to belong. So I'm glad to see this project, which provides 89. It's a drop in the bucket, but provides a chance and opportunity to change the lives of 89 people. As I read through the staff report, uh, I'm glad that the West Hollywood Community Housing Corporation took every advantage of state law available to them to provide the most units. Uh, and most of that um, discretion is, is out of your control. That's the state law, and, and it's, that is uh, what you all have to abide by. As I read through the staff report, I note on page 29, it's the staff's professional assessment. Based on the evidence, the city has an extremely limited ability to deny or require changes to the project, where the city does have discretion in the requested modification for 10% in both of the side yard setbacks and 10% uh, in the required rear yard setback. So you have a very limited amount of discretion, a very limited light to look through it is 12 inches, but in that very limited light, you get, you get the opportunity to change the lives of potentially 89 people. And that's an awesome responsibility. You've earned your $75 for tonight. Um, so I hope that you will uh, support this project. I hope that you will support the future lives that it will change. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is David Nash, uh, followed by Christian Robert. Thank you, David Nash. This January, I will become a 25-year resident of West Hollywood. I live in a beautiful building on Palm Avenue that the West Hollywood Community Housing Corporation developed in coordination with the Actors Fund. I have become a reasonable, active member of the community. I'm honored and so pleased to live in West Hollywood in an affordable, beautiful situation. This building is not monstrous. The executive director of the Actors Fund Keith McNutt explained to me recently how size matters and bigger is better. If you don't have enough units on a property, the building will not support itself. It will operate at a loss. So you need the units, not just to house people, 
but to make the entire project supportable. So I, I greatly encourage you all to let this project move forward as soon as possible and to continue to support affordable housing for people who have needs, whether they be senior, disabled, or struck by some circumstance in their life that they can't afford $3,000 a month to live here. So please show your support for those people and move ahead with this project. Thank you very much. Christian Robert, to be followed by Martha or Alana. Uh, good evening, Commissioners. Uh, Christian Robert, resident of Los Angeles. Um, I'm in a little unusual position here. I'm actually speaking as a private citizen. Um, I'm also co-founder and principal of Office on Title, the architect. Um, I want to take you back when I first arrived in Los Angeles. Um, I came here about 2000, in 2001. Um, I had uh, just lost my job. My dad um, was in Germany my mom, and I called my dad and was like, please, I need $2,500 to make it to the next paycheck. I would luckily find a job in an animation firm, and, uh, and I found a room to live for $328 a month. That now, and I lived there for about three to four years, I shared it with roommates, um, and now I'm proud co-founder of a firm. We employ 50 people. And I would say 75% of our staff members would qualify for the, for the low income. Not that we don't pay them enough, but I think the median income that qualifies is about $75,000 a year. So um, we're going back to the project. And as you know, our Harlan project is an incredible um, success in the city. It provides with 37 units, 12 market rate units, 12 affordable units. Those affordable units are incredibly um, inconspicuous, there's people there that live, that make a living, that work in this city, and we need more of those projects. Um, the question about the setback came up. Um, I would say every unit counts, but also every inch counts. Um, I understand that we might lose a few units, we can make the units also smaller, but in a way, we're really there to provide a balance. You know our work, we've done over 10 projects in the city. Um, this is not about creating a monster in and about fitting density, and this is one of probably the most challenging projects of our career, right? I think it's an incredibly tight site, tight street. We fully recognize and have really compassion for all the neighbors' concerns. Um, we really tried our best, um, hopefully, um, that as we always do in collaboration with city, with the staff, with the members of the public, um, but it's, it's always a compromise, so thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker will be Martha Orlana, as followed by Mark Yusupov. Hello. By the way, are we straightening out the, the, the actual timer? Because uh, didn't we say that we were going to get more time? That was in the agreement? Yes? When you guys made? Yeah. Because I know that Mr. Bernstein got cut off at three minutes. And if they got additional five minutes, we were going to give everybody more time. Is that not the deal? Did I just? I would just note the, the agenda states the public receives three minutes. Our understanding from Commissioner Matto's request was if the applicant received an additional five minutes, then the public would be allowed to go at their full three-minute 
uh, threshold. Uh, and I would also just note for public comment that the commission can't respond to questions that are posed during public comment. My name is Martha Rolan. I've lived here for 29 years. And I just want to straighten out something. The building next door is not five feet, five stories. It's three stories with a loft. So I don't know where that, that number, that misconception came from. I'm here to talk to you about light and darkness, shade and shadow, a building almost twice as tall as any other residence uh, that, that is definitely there will create major problems. Eliminate light. Take away the sunlight and be completely encased by this seven-story building. From dozens of residents, they will have no light uh, it, as soon as it, it, it's built. So what, what happened to allowing residents to enjoy some, some, some light? All of a sudden, it, their rights will be violated. Transparency? We had such dark shadows run deep with this project. How the land was acquired, how the church sued the developer along with the city of West Hollywood and the planning commissioner, and how the developer gave church a big chunk of money to get the land. Now they expect us to pay for some of that. Uh, the height of... I got, I got time, guys. The height of this monstrosity, it is a monstrosity because it's not equivalent to anything that's on Harlan. Harlan is not a monstrosity, and it should be allowed to be the same, similar. You can put Harlan right where we are, and that would be lovely. Uh, but the, it, it will deny the ability to install solar panels. They will be denied the right for energy efficiency buildings right next to it. Affordable housing, two units will go to the church as part of the lawsuit agreement. That is not affordable housing. The pastor and his, they're not in low income. So you call 300 square feet of living space housing, you promote quality of life as an equivalent of one car garage, a hotel room, or a small jail cell, that is not housing. This is a developer trying to, this is a developer trying to line his, a developer trying to line his pockets just because they call themselves nonprofit. It doesn't mean that they aren't begging or being compensated extremely well and will benefit enormously from having twice as many units as they really should be. We're not opposed to, to, to having a, 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 a affordable housing there. We're just opposed to the monstrosity that will be created by there and all the trouble that that will cause in terms of traffic, park, whatever. But why should Mr. Slanky care? He lives in a lovely multi-million dollar home on a quiet tree-lined street outside of West Hollywood, not, and also not, not, we, don't, he, we don't live in Westlake Village. Parking passes for a building that refuses to provide enough parking for residents to ex take away parking from people that actually live there, that have lived there for a long time. The church has beautiful stained glass windows, no light shining through, so I guess we can call it stained glass greed. Standing up for all residents, several cities in California are standing up and fighting for their residents. We have the right to dispute laws that are thoughtless and harmful to the majority of citizens. You can and you should fight certain le legislation that will have the detriment effects. It is your duty to do what's best for all of us, not just for a few of them. Not just, it's a, don't be a sheep that follows certain edicts that don't make sense. This project is total antithetical to the City of West Hollywood mission statement and core values, quality of residential life. We maintain a balanced sense of community by protecting quality of life, conserving our historic neighborhoods, safeguards, housing Please affordability, and proactively governing growth with care and thought. Thank you. Mark to be followed by Joseph Dixon. 
Dear commissioners and city staff, my name is Mark Farhat Yusupov. I'm a 22-year resident of West Hollywood. I urge you to consider our neighborhood's voices and withhold approval for the current project. Then if developer needs to go back to the drawing board and integrate community's input rather than imposing their plan on us. We all advocate for affordable housing, but we emphasize also the need for neighborhood-specific considerations. As we know, the project history involves broken promises, lawsuits, and questionable dealings. And there is overwhelming public opposition. However, our concerns have been consistently, dis consistently disregarded. Community meetings that were inadequately executed, limiting full participation and overlooking essential feedback. Even this hearing is postponed and scheduled about around holiday times, when most of the residents are already in vaca on vacations or taking time off. And despite numerous pleas, the developer has ignored requests to adjust the building size and design that impacts the sunlight and, for example, this allows our building to get solar panels installed on the roofs. We saw their visual renderings, and rather than being accurate, they seem to downplay the design's incompatibility with our area. When we asked them several times to provide the view from the east side, that was never done, and that wasn't done today either. Why? Because it's not flattering their project. This design poses significant concerns, including noise issues from the rooftop deck. And I don't know if the rooftop deck is part of the incentives allowed by the state. Also, a big concern is the metal staircase. If the design is, is the whole courtyard is like a tube, imagine what the staircase in the middle of it will do. And while we all acknowledge the housing need, we stress, we stress the balanced approach that respects both community interest and development objectives. So we ask for responsibility in implementing this project, balancing community needs with the development plans. This type of balanced approach would set precedent for future collaborations. I say let's work together for a solution that genuinely considers our city and its residents, not just developers' concerns. And uh, lastly, I want to add, I think nobody talked about the cost. And I believe the average unit in this project is going to cost around 700000 which is way above the average cost of the much bigger unit in our community. So we need to think about that, too. Thank you. Uh, Joseph, to be followed by Susan Rosenbluff. Hi. Um, I have a speech here, but I'm just going to wing it. I'm opposed to this. I'm not opposed to affordable housing. I don't think anybody in their right mind should be. But I live 20 yards away from this project, this proposed project. I don't know if you have all stood on Weatherly and looked at this project. It's a behemoth. It's going to destroy a lot of our quality of life. We are for affordable housing. Build it there, but build the right building for the right spot. 
This is a monstrosity. It's 36 inches away from other buildings. It overshadows everything just because you can do it, just because the state allows you, doesn't mean it has to be done that way. How about the quality of life for each of these individuals that you are going to house in these micro units? They can't afford to shop in the neighborhood. They can't afford to go to the clubs. They can't afford anything. They're gonna to have to leave this building to go grocery shopping to feed their families, to feed each other. It doesn't make sense. And I think that's part of the worst problem of this. Along with the fact our tax dollars are going into it. Who owns this building? What do they get from it? Who owns the equity? Who collects the rent? None of this has any clarity to any of us. We've asked and asked and asked for financial plans. Four years ago, this building was gonna cost $50 million. Anybody read a newspaper? Four years ago, the interest rate was zero. Today, it's 7.5% to get a mortgage, 7.43. Dollars have changed. This building needs to change. It cannot destroy the lives of people who live around it. It's just not fair. And I'm the face. I live in a building. I have a wife, I have a 15-year-old daughter. This is going to change our lives completely. For the years of construction, for the density, for the amount of people that are going to walk up and down that tiny, narrow street. There are not 50 parking spots on that street. Yet, we're told that he doesn't have to, Slansky doesn't have to provide any parking. We can't even park. My mother-in-law can't come over. It's packed. Give us a little break. I think their attorney basically told you guys, as you all sit here, your hands are tied. So I guess this is all just useless. CEQA, um, density, everything. You can't really do anything. But he needed our voice to be heard. Thanks for your time. Uh, Susan Rosenbluth, followed by Todd Grant. Good evening, commissioners, and everybody here with us tonight. Uh, I am a 20-year resident of West Hollywood. I live directly across the proposed building site. Um, unlike the developers who live in private dwellings outside of West Hollywood, our community, particularly our block, are working people who live in multi-dwellings who very much appreciate and support affordable housing. We do, however, believe it is the responsibility of our city to protect us as well as to welcome more of us. We ha what, I, what hasn't been said is how much our confidence in the city of West Hollywood governance has been eroding over the years of being ignored when we try to express our concerns. I assume that this commission understands that a petition has been signed by nearly 1,000 local residents of West Hollywood 
objecting to this proposed plan as it stands and stating our concerns, never stating we are opposed to a building of affordable housing right here, but seriously concerned about our own safety, our own well-being, and when a thousand residents speak up and no response follows for a few years, what are we to think about our city government <laughs> elected by us? When we understand that for all the talk about affordable housing, the uh, developers here don't live in West Hollywood, don't um, themselves enjoy you know, the multi-dwellings like we live in, uh, and yet they're asking the city for $10 million of our taxpayer money to augment the, their, um, the fiscal nature of this building and, and their own profits. Uh, we will not profit by this, but we will profit by a community that's inclusive. We do believe that you and the city have the right to request an EIR. That will address some of the concerns that we have for our own safety. We believe you have the right to ask for a construction plan. How will this uh, building be built with consideration for all of us who live here, for the parents and of the school children who drop their kids off and pick them up every day? We haven't seen anything about fire and safety during this construction period. Those of you who have looked at the neighborhood see where is a fire truck gonna be when these massive uh, you know, construction vehicles are there? We are worried about our safety and we rely on you guys to protect us. So please do, thank you. Todd Grant to be followed by Patrick Munoz. Todd Grant, I've been a, a resident of West Hollywood for seven years. Uh, dear Planning Commission, I'm a Norma Triangle resident and writing this letter in strong opposition of the 910 Weatherly Project. It is ridiculous that a project of this magnitude is brought to Planning Commission during the holiday period. This meeting should have been pushed back into the new year. Many of us cannot attend due to travel and it is clear that the WHCHC has again disregarded and avoided community engagement when over 1,000 residents have signed a petition against this project. No major changes have been made to this project. The community requests have been completely ignored. All of the points and suggestions in the design review meeting have been disregarded. All the recommendations of the historic commission have been disregarded. The massive size and scale of this project is completely out of scope for a narrow infill street of a small neighborhood. The design review, neighborhood residents, and historic commission have all requested that the height be reduced of the proposed building. It completely overshadows the historic landmark church. No exemptions for setbacks should be granted to a building this size and scale. Instead, additional setback clearance is needed to give surrounding buildings and the church breathing room. The open air interior metal staircase will cause noise issues for the entire neighborhood as it will uh, be a huge echo chamber. The massive roof deck will have also major noise ramifications and there should be double height glass railings required to help prevent noise issues. All mechanical uh, should be in the garage uh, to help reduce noise as well. Uh, the unit mix is outrageous. There is too many micro units. 
just because it's affordable housing does not mean residents should be forced to live in a 250 square foot shoebox with one small window. There should be more one to two bedrooms and uh, overall fewer but larger studios. Uh, they are trying to squeeze 89 units into a space which should be under 20 units. Uh, there should be more green space throughout the building in a meaningful way to, counter, uh, to counterbalance the density. Uh, there should be no drop-off or pickup allowed on the street for a building this size. Uh, they should be required to have a circular driveway like lar other large buildings so as to not disrupt the neighborhood streets. The building should not be allowed any street permit parking or visiting parking either. Thank you for your time. To be followed by Eric Hoffman. Good evening. Uh, Commissioners, uh, my name is Patrick Munoz. I live across the way at 9024 Cynthia, so um, rather close. And we really appreciate, first of all, that uh, we've had these conversations and that people are open both by the planning, planners, the builders, the architects, and the planning commission the city to take our comments and listen to the concerns both for more housing, which I support and I th we all support, or I, I support, I will speak for myself and my husband, um, and that uh, we are excited that, you know, that there will be something being put in. Having said that, it is, and you've heard the, both the pros and the cons, but the voices of the actual residents who live there, that it is a lot on that footprint to put in 89 units uh, on seven stories when the tallest units on that block, any of these, you know, the blocks directly, besides going one block down to the hotel, um, are only four stories uh, high at the highest. And um, in fact, below us on Vista Grande, the houses are uh, at a one story um, uh, that's the only, as tall as they can build them right now is the one story they can't add to the second story. So I do appreciate that we've had this time and the patience and everybody being here and being able to voice both uh, opinions, pro and con. I would just ask, and I realize that with the state laws as they are uh, in favor of this and really with no kind of uh, modifications required on their part, <laughs> on our part, or, or to, on the builder's part, that we would just uh, take a moment to, if they could, if the builders could in any way reassess this and think about maybe just diminishing the footprint a bit in terms of the number of units, the 89 units and the seven stories, even if we're taking down a bit more, I really appreciate the setback uh, reduction, the modifications made there. Again, very thoughtful of the builders, the planners. I appreciate that, and, um, but I do speak on behalf of, of a community that wants people to have housing, to do so in a way that is both fair and takes into account the concerns of the United States of America to have housing for people, along with the concerns of those people directly affected. I appreciate your time and patience again. Thank you for letting me speak. Um, Eric Hoffman to be followed by George Murphy. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Eric Hoffman. I'm a Los Angeles resident. Um, some comments were made about the size of some of the smaller units um, and people being forced to live in those units. Uh, this is a completely voluntary project. Nobody, no one is being forced to move into these units. If someone chooses to move into these units, that is because they cannot afford a larger unit or a unit elsewhere for, their, for them to be able to live in West Hollywood. Uh, the reason for that 
is because this city and the entire, all 88 jurisdictions in Los Angeles County have not built enough housing. Um, so the fact that these units are so small, I think is emblematic of the problems that we have because uh, communities have not let projects like these that have 100% affordable housing get built. So wanted to register my support of this project. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, George Briffey to be followed by Alana Jackler. My name is George Murphy. I've lived in this area since 1964, before there was a West Hollywood, at the risk of showing my age if I don't already. I won't go into describing how I feel about the aesthetic effect of this carbuncle on our city, but I was very moved by a previous speaker, Joe, who's talking about the effect of the people who have to live here. Now, this is California. You have 89 units and 66 parking spaces. Some of those units are going to have two cars. Some of them will have no cars. How, what are we going to do with these people? Hmm? How are they going to park? What's going to happen to them? The city of West Hollywood could get rich by giving out parking tickets to them. But who wants to give a, get rich by off the backs of these people. And what are they going to do and where are they going to go? The nearest park, it's a, it's a, it's a walk. They have to come down here to West Hollywood Park. Or maybe they go to Beverly Hills. I don't think they'd be welcome. I think that this is a very bad traffic. I was amazed to see that they uh, said there was no traffic impact. Well, if you've been on Cynthia Avenue, it's a parallel to Sunset Boulevard in the rush hour, it's jammed. And it's a confusion between Doheny and Cynthia that our folks in Beverly Hills will let us clear up. And the traffic, these people can't park. And where are the electricians and plumbers, the service, the building's going to park? One nice thing about West Hollywood is, been, is that the residents have had to have a place to park. Apartment units don't go up without adequate parking. Otherwise, it'd be untellable. We have the highest uh, density population in California, I think, are close to it. And to, to make it, to upset that is going to harm both everyone living there and the people that try to move in there. Where are they going to go? What are they going to do? And the elderly will have to walk uphill or down or above hills on a hill a half a mile to get to public transportation which is the best transportation. No, they will have their cars, and this is no place for it. Thank you. Thank you, George. 
Jaca will be followed by Antonio Whitley. Alana? No? Okay. Uh, Antonio? Angelo Rivera. <clears throat> well, Angelo Rivera, uh, been living in West Hollywood for almost 10 years. Um, wow, I've heard the pros and cons. Uh, I hear the other side. I do. I don't know anything about Weatherly Drive. I'm a tenant at the courtyard at La Brea. And I had to let go of my ego when I moved in, thinking I was moving into a low-income complex. I had to let go of that. Then when I moved in, I had to assess the situation, like what kind of people are going to be moving in here? Low-income people. Well, I'm a low-income person. And then I had to let my ego go there. And now that I've been living there for 10 years, all the complaints, all the bitching and moaning that people were doing, and I know the concerns are rightly so, they were the same for the courtyard at La Brea, but now there's no complaints at all, and it's a safe environment. Once you get in off the street, the building feels so safe and so secure. It's so quiet. Um, and the tenants, it's diversified, yes, but everybody respects everybody else. So I, I can't address Weatherly Drive because I just don't know anything about that. I, I can only address low-income housing, and we just need it so badly. And Abby and Eric already spoke about that. To get into a low-income building requires a whole lot of paperwork. I mean, they know and own you when you move in there. So there's a sense of security. My God, I'm almost approaching 80. If anything happens to Social Security, I'm safe. I'm safe in this low-income building. They'll, they'll take that into account and lower my rent. Um, so for me, low-income housing is just so necessary just incredibly necessary right now. And the fact that West Hollywood is jumping on it compared to a lot of other places, I have to give them credit for that. Again, I feel, I feel the people that live around Weatherly Drive, I do hear what you're saying, but just give low-income housing a chance on Weatherly Drive. Whether you have to make changes to the building or whatever, just give them a chance to just keep building these places for us who are low income. There's nothing else we can do. Um, we depend on these buildings going up. Um, again, I feel bad for the people on Weatherly Drive that live around that neighborhood, but just give low-income housing a chance. See what they come up with. That's all. Uh, Zen, uh, to be followed by Grayson Sawyer. Good evening, Commissioners. Zentara, 15-year resident. Excellent staff proposal. Um, a report, I mean, thank you for that. Um, as the parent of two um, adult children with disabilities, I'm very much in favor of affordable housing. I uh, have been to enough public um, uh, 
historical commission meetings to understand uh, the, the questions earlier, and I appreciate that. Um, I do support this project, and I just want to, um, I'm just gonna leave it at that. Thank you, I do support the project, thank you. Thank you, Grayson Sawyer, to be followed by Mark Craigar. Grayson, okay. Um, Mark Craigar, to be followed by Angelo Rivera. Hi, I'm Mark Krieger, a uh, longtime resident of West Hollywood. I've been in the Norma Triangle for about eight years. Uh, I do support affordable low-income housing, but I don't support this project as it currently stands. Um, the Weatherly Palms project, as it's currently conceived, it's too large, it's too invasive, and above all, it's too dense. Uh, in land that was formerly occupied by just two houses, a building housing as many as 300 people is being proposed. That's equivalent to 1% of the population of West Hollywood in just one building on a lot designed for two homes. <clears throat> Excuse me. I agree with nearly 1,000 others who've signed that petition calling for changes, uh, such as a driveway that would alleviate traffic, larger setbacks, and a height limit of four stories. Most importantly, an environmental impact study is critical to assess the impacts of this unprecedented uh, project. And it is unprecedented. I think it's unlike anything uh, that any of the other residents of affordable housing have, have lived in. Um, basically, none of our requests uh, have been unreasonable, yet the developer has continued to ignore them. Uh, this community supports low-income housing. We just want the most potentially egregious uh, of the project impacts to be addressed. That's it. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, Parker, to be followed by Nick Perloff. No, Parker? Okay. Hi, Parker Friedrich, uh, eight-year West Hollywood resident. Um, I'm in support of this project. We, as a city, would like to, commu would like to create 2,400 affordable units by 2029. This would do 3.5% of that. I think someone said we're at 4%. If we allow these endless bad faith arguments to slow and reduce and potentially stop this project, it not only will hurt people on the street, it will set a precedent that people can come in here and they can argue and shout about conflicting views. Uh, the apartments are too small, but there's so many units. And I mean, I don't know if you know the square footage of a tent, but that's where a lot of these people would end up without the support of projects like this. It's about 70 square feet. It's hard to stand. Um, and I just, I just want to say that I think as it stands right now, this project is so necessary. And I hope that you don't let the voices of a very loud minority change your mind. Thank you. Uh, Nick Perloff to be followed by Sage Johnson. Hi, <clears throat> good evening. Uh, my name is Nick Perloff. 
Uh, I'm a resident of Los Angeles. Um, I can hear some laughter in the background. One of the reasons that I am not a resident of West Hollywood is because I was born a little bit late, unfortunately, and now rent, the average one bedroom in West Hollywood is $3,300. I just want that to sink in, it's $3,300. I went to college, I have a decent job, I definitely can't afford that, right? I have no idea how someone, how transition age youth could ever afford an apartment that's $3,300 a month, right? So, and I think I, we know why we've gotten to a point where a one bedroom in West Hollywood requires an income of about $100,000 to afford, right? It's because we've had meeting after meeting, very well-intentioned. I understand the concerns, I really do. But we've had meeting after meeting, year after year, where people say, we're here for affordable housing, we like affordable housing, but not quite like this, right? It's a little too big, it's a little too maybe massive. I'm worried about the noise, I'm worried about the parking. And I understand that. But if we're gonna say that every time, these things aren't gonna get built and people are gonna live on the street. That will happen, it's already happening. People live on the street because of these decisions. And so obviously I am here to voice my incredible support for this project. I really encourage you to contemplate the moral necessity of these kinds of things. That it's very easy to pick at things, to pick at masses, to pick at parking, and I understand, and I, like I said, it's very well-intentioned. But if any of you have children, I encourage you to think about what their future in this city might look like in a place that feels, well, it's more important to preserve exactly what the city looks like now than to welcome anybody else in. Because we're looking at a future with rents at four, five thousand, six thousand dollars for a market rate, right? I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine how anyone, middle class, lower income, will ever afford to live in this city. And this is a rare opportunity to provide some housing for people like that. So I really encourage you to support it. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, Sage Johnson to be followed by Kenneth Stabbins. Uh, can you pull it a little closer to just pull it down? There you go. Okay, I know it's late and um, my name is Sage Johnson. I'm speaking in favor of the housing development. I'm a West Hollywood resident of five years and have been around the city since high school. We go Fairfax Lions. The importance of 910 Weatherly Drive, Weatherly Drive is vital in addressing the necessity of low income housing units in a city as abundant as this one. Many people commute in and out of the city for work school, community, companionship, and our wonderful amenities. It is our responsibility as a city to acknowledge and accommodate our existing neighbors and our potential residents. I'm just gonna say this, I had a whole script, <laughs> it's late. I have lived experience of being in a house when I was a young, when I was a young adult, I was a transitional age youth. Due to the WHCHC, I live in one of their buildings now, I've stayed housed, Many of the young people who I know who also went through the shelter programs are now housed. So low income housing and affordable housing has been a godsend for us. It has allowed us to continue living past our episodes and eras of trial and tribulations. 
take into consideration what the folks have brought to you today about parking, quality of life. Those are all valid, but I do want to keep the forefront of affordable housing and making sure we accommodate people who are coming in and residents who are currently there. Thank you so much. I yield my time. Thank you. Candidate statements to be followed by Jonathan Wilson. Good evening. Um, my name is Ken Stabens. I'm a resident of West Hollywood, and I live in the building that is next to the proposed site. Um, I'm for affordable housing, but not for the current design. Uh, my neighbors and I truly understand how expensive it is to live in West Hollywood, and also understand the city's attempt to provide housing that is more affordable. We support that effort but we don't support the design. The size of the building is too large for our neighborhood. Four stories would be more appropriate as it would be in line for the neighbor, in the with the neighboring buildings and have lesser impact on blocking out sun of the existing infrastructure. Um, the 89 units is too many for the building at the propo proposed site. Um, traffic will become unmanageable especially during the rush hours and during times parents drop off and pick up their kids at the school on Hammond. I live at 930 North Weatherly and I see the traffic on Cynthia and I see it on Weatherly and on Hammond. It stretches out to Doheny to the west and to San Vicente to the, to the east of us. Uh, it, it, it's going to be a mess. Um, the total number of parking spots in the proposed subterranean parking will not accommodate the number of cars that may exist. On-street parking will become unavailable. It's highly unlikely that the residents will give up their parking spots for members of the church. Uh, we believe the design of the building as proposed will cause major disruptions and serious problems for us, the existing residents, and for our new welcoming residents in the Norma Triangle area. Thank you. Jonathan Wilson to be followed by Janet Elliott. Thank you. For the record, um, it's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, um, oh, but Jonathan no, Wilson no. is correct. So thank you again for um, listening to me, Chair, Vice Chair, and Commissioners. I just want to think about the long-term vision for West Hollywood, and, and the reason I'm here is really more about the passion about the long-term vision. I am also in support of, um, of, of what the staff is saying, and partly because, you know, just a picture that the traffic that we have that's going up and down Sunset, people have talked about that a lot. Well, imagine if that traffic kind of went away because some people that actually work here could afford to live close to where they work. Imagine, imagine if an elderly person who may be five blocks away, they start leveraging the services that the city already offers, allowing for that free transportation around the city. So there's, there are things that may not impact the traffic. Just The two are not directly correlated. Um, and then in addition to that, I did want to say too that denying projects like this will actually limit supply and drive demand right, because population continues to grow. So that one bedroom apartment that the gentleman mentioned earlier, that's $3,300 now, will only get significantly higher in five years. Let's also think about equity. 
right? So 70% of the homeless services in, in West Hollywood are being used by BIPOC individuals. BIPOC people are actually homeless here in West Hollywood on a much larger and alarming rate than other people. On top of that, you're looking at less than 20% of the people that live in West Hollywood are BIPOC. However, we have a high, large, we have a high um, percentage of people that are, under, are in poverty or that are in middle-class um, families that are BIPOC. We need to drive additional diversity within West Hollywood, and this is one of the means to do that. I'm speaking, by the way, as a resident of West Hollywood and a business owner. I would love for one day to employ people that actually could afford to live here. Um, and, and that is one of the things that I wanted to talk about as well. When we talk about traffic, we talk about homelessness, we talk about um, prices being driven up, but we aren't talking about the fact that we are creating 89 locations for people to live. We, are far, we, we have far too few places for us to be able to, um, for the people that want, for the demand of the people that want to live here in the city of West Hollywood. We offer a really safe haven. Let's continue to do that for people that actually want to be here. Thank you. And I'm sorry for those residents, by the way, who believe that their rights are being infringed upon. We have to make some radical changes, and today is now. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Janet Elliott to be followed by Eduardo Tialdi. Janet? No? Eduardo? Good evening, Commission. Eduardo Tealdi, uh, resident of West Hollywood. Um, I am speaking in opposition to this project, not, not to affordable housing, to this project. Somebody said earlier it's, it's easy to pick on things like parking and density and size. Yes, it's, it's very easy because it's obviously true. Because anyone with a shred of common sense can tell that the size of this project is, is utterly disproportionate to the location for which it is proposed. If this had been on Doheny, on Santa Monica, hardly anyone would be objecting. You wouldn't have all these people objecting. But this is a tiny street on the side of a hill. And people have said it better than I did, than I can. The light is going to take, be taken away, the traffic that's going to cause, the noise of the crowds going in and out of the church. It would cause a permanent deterioration in quality of life for the neighborhood. It's just a Goliath. And as a resident, I and many others are simply advocating for a reduction in size for the project. So, staff and the applicant, they kept reminding us that they are legally allowed to do this. And they kept reminding you of all the limitations of your powers. I don't, I've applied to a lot of things in my life, and I can never remember one instance of reminding the people judging my application of the limitations of their discretion. <laughs> every, time, every time I hear the word discretion, every time I've heard the word discretion tonight, I've thought, God, if I was sitting up there, I would show them some discretion. <laughs> Unbelievable, the arrogance of these people. Anyway, because something, somebody said it before, but it's also my conclusion, it's because something can be done. It doesn't mean that it should be done. Let's have a little bit of common sense on this one, please. Okay. 
Felice Kaplan to be followed by Hector Barbosa. Felice? Yes, please come down. Hello. Um, I just heard about this a few days ago, and I thought I just wanted to take a few minutes. Um, I've been here my entire life. <clears throat> I've been in West Hollywood before it was West Hollywood. I've been here since 1959. And when I heard about it, I thought, how wonderful that maybe somebody could take people whose life is so difficult and maybe you could just make it a little bit easier for them, and then maybe they have hope and a chance, show a little empathy that maybe they can get back on their feet again, and maybe they won't be low income a year from then. And then maybe from there, this is just a stepping stone. They themselves can do better, and maybe one day they can help someone. I don't believe it has to do with the building. That's my opinion. I believe these people just don't like the type of people that will be living in the building. And they talk about traffic and this and that. I have a feeling the majority, I can speak. Please stop. I have a feeling. Please stop. I have Thank a feeling you. that the majority of the people that are low income probably don't um, have a car, so I don't think they'll be using much of the parking spaces. And they say it's next to a church. I wonder how the church would feel about helping people that need help. I don't know if they would mind or not. I think they, if they truly are godly-like people and they're worried about the church, then ask maybe the people that run the church if they feel it would be good to help people who are not doing well at this time. Any of you, nobody's guaranteed another day. God forbid, can have cancer tomorrow, can lose your job tomorrow. None of us are to judge anyone. How hard can it be to just let somebody you know, have a little hope, have people care for them for once in their life. I live near Sweetser in Fountain. I've been there 15 years. My rent is very high too, but I love living in West Hollywood. And I, I see people, uh, isn't it better to have them in a low-income building than to have them laying on the street, yelling and screaming, getting drunk, peeing, pooping on the sidewalk? My God, just give them a little hope. It doesn't cost anything. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Hector Barbosa to be followed by Alexander Baisley. Good evening, everyone. My name is Hector Barbosa. I've been a patron and resident of West Hollywood since 1977, and I have seen the many changes that have taken place ever since then. And I wish I could go back to the late 70s and early 80s, but obviously we can't, and we can only think of the future at this point. Um, I appreciate what people have said on both sides, but I like to uh, look at things very practically and I like to consider the future where we're gonna be at you know, a couple of decades from now. Um, a building that has 89 units, is that gonna be something very rare 25 years from now? I don't think so. Even I'm concerned about what's gonna happen to us who live on Palm Avenue, that it's a building of only 12 units that clearly are not meeting you know, the needs of the people with only 12 units. And I want to dispel a few untruths here. First, sp uh, the amount of space, okay? In the last decade, a lot of apartments in West Hollywood have now eliminated, uh, they, their owners have eliminated things as closets and dining rooms and stuff like that in order to accommodate 
two or three people in a very limited amount of space. That is the truth of not only West Hollywood, but it's the truth of many cities around the world. Okay, we're not gonna be living in bigger spaces, we're gonna live in smaller spaces. So having a building that is only offering, you know, a certain amount of feet is gonna become the reality of tomorrow. Also, the problem of parking. My building, like I said, we have was 12 units. Approximately 40% of the, the, um, the, the spaces are empty. Each unit has two, two parking spaces. More, uh, roughly half of the people in that building do not even drive. I don't drive, my roommate does. He doesn't even spend that much time in, in, in West Hollywood. He's mostly you know, traveling abroad and everything, and yet we have all this space. The same is the truth for the building right next to me on the right side and the left side. Most people now don't require that much parking space. Okay, and also something else, the, the real need for as much housing, it doesn't matter how much you're paying for your housing. The fact that the population is increasing, it's not going to decrease, and that West Hollywood has become an ideal place to live in, not only for the wealthy, but also for everyone who wants to live within a, a, a certain amount of feeling uh, safe. You know, that is going to be not only the reality of today, but of tomorrow. And let me say something, the very rich people in West Hollywood, sometimes they don't even go out for a cup of coffee. It's a lot of the people who are barely getting by who truly support a lot of the small businesses in West Hollywood. Thank you. Um, Alexandra Baisley, uh, to be followed by Javier Malero. Hello, good evening, Chair, Vice Chair, Commission. Uh, my name is Alexander Basley. I've lived on um, Cynthia and San Vicente nearby for about 14 years, uh, so I'm familiar with the area. Uh, I'm here to speak in support of this item um, and of the project. I am a proud board member of the West Hollywood Community Housing Corporation. Um, the reason that I joined the organization, this is a homegrown development company within West Hollywood. Um, it is known for its award-winning design, architectural design, and amazing services that it provides its residents, um, which is quite critical. As you've heard from Carl, who also lives nearby, uh, leadership of the company, um, many of us are from the community, um, from within West Hollywood or around West Hollywood. Uh, so when this um, building was just ideated, you know, really from inception, uh, our concerns really were to make sure that uh, you all were proud of what was presented and that the community is proud of what was presented. Um, I think the um, most critical item uh, in that regards is that we are, of course, that we all know, in a severe housing crisis uh, for the state, for the region, for the city. Um, so this is a most spectacular opportunity to actually make a transformational impact um, for 88 families um, and uh, something that will really help make sure that we can continue to ensure that there is some economic diversity within the community uh, to make sure that our community stays dynamic uh, in terms of uh, the people who live here, um, uh, the economy that's powered here. 
so uh, once again, uh, in great support uh, of this project. Uh, it really is our intention um, on behalf of the corporation uh, to make uh, you all proud in terms of having a project here that um, not only uh, is within um, you know, sort of the, the state law and within uh, kind of the mandate of the community, um, uh, you know, regional in terms of our housing needs, but uh, of the aesthetics of West Hollywood and of um, the ethos of West Hollywood uh, to be a desirable community open uh, to, to many different individuals. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Javier, it can be followed by Dominic Panano. Hi, I'm Javier Molero. I uh, moved to LA in 1989 in January, and I've been in West Hollywood since uh, January 1st of 2008. I'm totally for this project. This is what I call a miracle of a project in the sense that it, the entire thing, it's not, it's not just 11% affordable housing in the building. It's 100% with a lot of low-income housing opportunity. This is amazing. These are people who are going to be paying about one-fourth of the rent. That is a great startup for them. It's a great step up. It's five steps up. Uh, I'm totally for this. Uh, this is a city with a lot of writers and uh, actors and, uh, and, and, and uh, artists, painters, and just regular people. Um, this is also, we have a, a housing crisis here. And this would allow 89 people, 89 couples, perhaps, small families, to have an opportunity to come in and be part of this community, just like the rest of us are. And so they won't have to move to, um, I don't know, Compton or Lancaster or Palmdale or Downey, and there's nothing wrong with that, except that some of us don't want to do that. And so I, I'm totally for this. I implore you to please, you know, pretend it's a city. It's going to grow. People are going to want to move here just like you wanted to move here and stay here, like I did, like I do. Please, I implore you to approve this project as proposed, losing even a few units might appease some people, but will have greater negative impacts on those already struggling to make ends meet. I wish people would be more, more concerned about housing insecurity and homelessness. Thank you. Uh, Dominic Bonanno, followed uh, by Joel Safer. Hi, good evening. I'm Dominic Bonanno, longtime resident of West Hollywood. You know, I'm going to reference Harvey Milk. He said, give them H-O-P-E. You know, and I'm going to reference my dad, too. My dad always said, you know, you got to meet people where they are at. And we need more housing, and I cannot applaud this project enough. I'm tired of seeing people who are homeless. I'm tired of having to walk over them. We, we walk by them every day. Do we notice them? No, we don't. Now is time for change, and West Hollywood is that city. We always have been that city. I've always said to myself and to others that will actually listen, um, wh why are we not a pilot city? I, I mean, we, 
we do so much for our community and when other people can thrive in this community. And I think that that's most important. And so I'm gonna support this project. Yes, I've heard both sides. I've teetered and I've tottered and I've tottered and I've teetered. But at the end of the day, it's about helping families and people being able not to survive, to live. And that's what this is about. So thank you and I honor all of you. Thank you, keep smiling. Uh, Joel, uh, to be followed by Matthew Sam. I'm Joel Sopranic. I'm a 30-year resident of the Norman Triangle. I strongly support the project. I've walked my dog in the neighborhood for decades. The fears about parking and traffic are way overblown. Weather is an extremely quiet street, and I sympathize with the concerns of the immediate neighbors, but the overall uh, violence against this project I find uncomprehensible. So uh, please support the project. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Matthew, to be followed by uh, Gregor Reddy. Good evening, and thank you. Um, I'm speaking on behalf of my partner, who's lived uh, two, a block away, really, for 19 years. I've lived there for uh, six years. I'm a 13-year resident of Los Angeles. Um, I am opposed to this project, but not opposed to affordable housing, and I'll tell you why. I was the beneficiary, or, or I benefited from a similar project 25 years ago in Brooklyn. It might be hard to believe, but I was lucky enough to secure a spot as a broke college student in Brooklyn in a new development. That helped to change the course of my life, however, it was appropriate for the scale of the neighborhood. When I think about this project coming into a street that I walk by three times a day with the dogs, and I see the flow of traffic, who some dismiss as just a minor excuse, there have been countless times where the traffic flow has been uh, disregarding the one-way signs the difficulty of exiting those side streets, specifically Phyllis, is incredibly difficult to navigate. The Cynthia stop signs are not being respected. In addition to that, there's no speed bumps that are kind of listed in that area or like secured in, but they are on one of the other streets, Hammond, for the school. All of this aside, you think about 89 units. Okay, maybe half of them don't have cars, but even if they do, then we're really in a predicament. I don't know if the proper reports have really been done. Based on some of the feedback from the city staff, things like, to my knowledge, seems like there's not real, enough, real evidence here that we've done the due diligence of looking at traffic flow looking at parking, looking at the effects on the community, and even integrating design feedback from the community. The drawings that we've seen are not to scale, not to scale. 
how can we really sit here and decide the future when you don't even have the real information? So the environmental report, that's something that we should be looking at. I mean, I could keep going. Um, I have a few other thoughts, and I'm just about out of time. So if any of the other people that left, their names, um, they were so frustrated with the system and this process that they left. And I'm, I'm really sad that they left, and I had a whole conversation trying to convince them to stay, but they're so frustrated that they're not being heard. And they feel like this project is just being jammed into the system because it either meets political platforms or whatever it might be, but we are all for affordable housing, but not done in this manner and this scale. So let's reevaluate the height and the scale and take a minute to really make sure that you have all the proper information. Thank you. Good evening, dear West Hollywood uh, planning committee. And I have to say that I envy each one of you that you have the power to make a decision that can influence a lot of a lot of people. It's not only the apartment, but they also have families who worry about them. Uh, they have parents, they have children their brothers, sisters, and you can influence massively their lives. And I would say the allowance of the building is not even big enough by far of what catastrophe you're currently sitting in. And you are individually, each one of you can counter that. That freeway 10 fire, I mean, you, we know what this was, the reason for it. And I would say, of course, and I understand the residents in the neighborhood that they're afraid because everything new, every change needs courage. They don't know what is going to happen and that's why they're supposed to it. But take my word because I'm one of those faces. I was homeless. I got a, an apartment from the West Hollywood Housing Corporation and I'm thriving ever since. It changed my life. It's like winning the lottery of life. I'm going to the Los Angeles City College. I'm studying psychology. I'm volunteering for the homeless. I'm with the uh, Jewish Family Services, giving out food. I'm turning it around. I paid forward. It's thanks to you, Planning Commission, that allowed the courtyard of La Brea to, to be erected. And one more thing for the people who are afraid, which I understand that they are afraid. We, in 10 years, never had the police come out to our building. Never. We are living in perfect harmony. Tomorrow we have a community lunch for Thanksgiving, and we all like each other, we are there for each other, we support each other. It can be absolutely beautiful. And yes, it will be too. And as a man who lived 2023 years ago said, we not need to build the walls higher, we need to extend our table to invite the people. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Andrea, to be followed by Stephen Rousey. 
Julie. Uh, Stephen. Uh, to be followed by um, our last public speaker here in council chambers will be Kathy Blavis. If I've missed anyone, please come down to see me. I'll add you to the list to give you a moment. Hello. Uh, yes, my name is Stephen Rusi. Uh, I uh, just had a couple of comments. One is that uh, I would really love it if somehow people that worked in West Hollywood could actually end up in this building, uh, assuming it gets built. Um, as far as I know right now, the likelihood of that happening is very, very small. Um, <clears throat> two, on parking, there's a lot of uh, my neighbors uh, and myself that are worried about uh, parking on the street. Um, I think a lot of that could be solved by uh, how the city issues or does not issue uh, permits for that space um, or the residents in that space. Uh, and number three, uh, the parking for the church, which, you know, is sort of a proponent of Prop 8 and the like, and imagine living in, that si living in that building and having their signs there all the time, it really kind of bothers me. Um, the, uh, the state law that allows them to say that this is like a not a choice uh, for the city. Uh, I think you could probably take out a whole floor of parking and then not have those 20 spots for the church. And uh, it would probably make the building cheaper. So I think that really should reconsider that. Anyhow, thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, Kathy Blavis to be followed by uh, Jesse Harris. Good evening, commissioners. Uh, Kathy Blavis, City of West Hollywood. Um, it's been very interesting sitting here this whole time listening as you have. In my opinion, I have not heard one quote unquote NIMBY. I have not heard one person say they don't want affordable housing in their neighborhood. I have heard, I have heard over and over again, it is too big for the neighborhood, it is not taking the neighborhood into consideration. You know, it, this is probably the wrong expression, but the focus of affordable housing is very real. This is like putting 100 pounds of sugar in a five pound sack. You can't make the lot bigger, you can't do that, so you, you, you go up and you make it bigger. Yes, West Hollywood Housing Corporation has other buildings. Sierra Benita on Santa Monica and Sierra Benita. The courtyards on La Brea on La Brea. These are not neighborhoods. You're not putting uh, a seven-story building on a corner or on a, on a thoroughfare. You're putting it in a small neighborhood. I... Thank you. I would ask this question, if this was not an affordable housing building, would you even look twice at what they're trying to put there? I understand your limitations, I understand incentives, but let's be realistic. It's too many people, too many apartments, lower, I, I, again, I, I can't speak for the residents, I don't live in that area, 
but it seems to me from what I've heard tonight, if West Hollywood Housing Corporation really listened and listened to the concerns and reduced the massing, reduced the size, I don't, again, I'm not speaking to them, I don't think there would be such an argument. I, I don't know. I, I certainly don't envy your having to make this decision tonight, and I don't know what you can actually do, but if you can do anything to, to, to you know, even the scales, to, to really even the scales, because it sounds to me like it's all been in the developer's hand, and they've had all the power, for lack of a better description. Again, if this was a regular building, would you have let it get this far? Thank you, and good luck, commissioners. Uh, Jesse Harris to be followed by uh, Josh Harris, and then we'll go to the Zoom platform. Howdy, commissioners. Good evening. Uh, Jesse Harris. I've been a, a resident of West Hollywood for going on a decade. I actually moved here to West Hollywood um, because I got a job at a place that used to be called the Youth Center on Highland. Uh, they, it was a shelter and drop-in center for homeless youth that's operated through the LA LGBT Center. Um, and I got the feeling, like a lot of people, that I was just completely overwhelmed by the sheer amount of, um, of, of homeless people, and, and not just homelessness, but um, the gravity of our, of our housing crisis. And so I started thinking, what can be done about this? And I fell so far down the rabbit hole that I ended up getting a master's in urban planning, and I now work as an urban planner. And, and, and I understand, um, like many folks do, that we are in a full-on housing crisis, actually the worst um, that has been seen in, in recorded history. And I think by the very nature of the word crisis, um, what we also have to understand is that the solutions are, are not going to be comfortable. Um, we have you know, about 2,400 units to produce. Uh, and as was said before, this is sort of a drop in, in the bucket. I love the city of West Hollywood. I'm constantly bragging about um, how we are a city that, that values access, that values um, transit, that values density and, and values this being a city where, um, where folks can live and um, have a high quality of life. Uh, I think this project is part of that and it's a, it's a great part of West Hollywood's legacy. Um, the only way that we can increase the number of housing and, and we are absolutely uh, in a housing crisis that mandates that we increase our housing supply is to build differently than we're used to. And that, I know, is uncomfortable. Um, I love that this building mixes lots of different incomes. Um, we oftentimes see buildings that are only for very low or only luxury. Um, I love that this provides uh, moderate income housing. And we have to acknowledge that the only places to build uh, new housing in a city, in an urban area that's already built up um, will require us to build in existing neighborhoods. Um, this, I think, turning a surface parking lot into, uh, into housing meets, helps us meet uh, a lot of our regional goals. Um, and to be clear, urban areas that do a good job of providing adequate housing, they're not easy to drive a car in. They're not easy to park in. Um, they have tall buildings next to short buildings, next to medium-sized buildings. They mix the old and the new. Um, and 
Uh, I don't think that in a crisis we really have the luxury of prioritizing parking or ease of single occupant vehicle movement. Um, and so I, I think this is a great project and, and I think that we need a lot more just like this. Thank you. And our last speaker in chambers will be Josh Harris. Um, for those of you on the Zoom platform, if you'd like to speak, your time will be coming up. Please start nine for me at this time and we'll give you your opportunity in just a moment. Uh, Josh, go ahead. Hi, good, good uh, evening, I'm Joshua Harris. Um, just a brief overview, I was an intern for the city about a decade ago working at the city council and my first meeting was about development. And flash forward a decade on and I changed the project address and it's the same exact rhetoric. Nothing has changed. Parking, massing, height, it's the same complaint, right? And I think as has been mentioned, uh, this is literally the Housing Crisis Act, right? Housing Crisis Act, it's in the name, Act, it's right there, right? We have a game of musical chairs going on in Los Angeles County. We don't have enough seats for everyone, right? And we, I, people say people are living on the street. No, people are dying on the street. They're dying on the street. And we all, everyone in here with a pair of eyeballs has to walk over them and see, these, see our fellow humans in the street in these conditions. And instead of getting more chairs, we have people talking about, hmm, should it be polka dots? Or maybe we should add a, maybe a little taller the chair. We have a crisis. Please act accordingly. Thank you. Thanks, Josh. And Joe, we're now uh, turn it over to Joe for our Zoom platform speakers. Hello, uh, Chair and Commissioners. Uh, we have Alex Hopkins up. Uh, Alex, please state your name and city residence, and you have three minutes. Thank you. My name is Alex Hopkins, and I'm a resident of West Hollywood. I keep hearing a lot of, I'm all for affordable housing, but not this one. And I think it's important that we recognize there will always be people in opposition, no matter what. So my focus is on the people who really deserve this opportunity. And I'd like to preface this by making it clear that my opinion is in no way a political platform. It's a matter of empathy. West Hollywood is such an amazing, inclusive city, and a lot of the people who contribute to our city don't have high-paying jobs and can't afford housing here. Some of these people even have to resort to living in their cars. Their quality of life is far worse than any of us who can say we sleep in the same bed each night and wash in the same shower each day. And that's why affordable housing is so important to me, because it's not just a home, it's a shower, it's a bed, it's warmth in the winter, it's cooling in the summer, and it's a new start for those who really need it. For these reasons, as well as those stated tonight, I urge you to approve 9A. Thank you. All right, and our next speaker on the Zoom platform will be Rowdy. 
Remember to star six to unmute yourself. Um, hello, my name is Cheryl Roddy, and our family owns a condominium in a complex that borders on Weatherly Street. Um, I'd like to circle back to the issue of micro units. And I've heard discussion tonight that it doesn't seem to make any difference that these are only 250 or 242 square foot units. But another government group in the same shoes as your planning commission had this situation presented to them just this fall. And it was a situation where the UCLA was proposing to the Board of Regents an approval for a dorm building specifically aimed to help low-income students and the units were going to be 318 square feet and i think the regents comments about this is are informative because it's a very parallel situation one of the regents and i'm i'm looking to the la times report said i don't want to call these jails but these really are good dorms another regent noted that the research has found that micro units have been linked to negative mental health issues and when a ucla official said that he was trying to keep costs down for low-income students the regent said that this implication was for poor kids for low-income kids this density is okay he went on to question the density our lieutenant governor is a ex-official member of the, the Board of Regents, and she come, her remarks were that this trend of smaller and smaller spaces as campuses cram more students into rooms to address affordable higher housing is very worrisome. And she indicated that what it comes down to is your efforts to use every square foot of land to produce space for as many students as possible. But quoting her, she said, but there is a limit that can get us to the point where students can really experience negative mental health impact, but by the way they're being asked to live. To the extent the commission has power to do so, I'd ask you to revisit this issue of micro, micro units and really question whether 242 square feet, 250 square feet is the type of housing that should be provided in West Hollywood. Um, I don't support the plan as it's currently drafted. And to the extent that the commission can, I'd ask you to look for revisions that would make the quality of life for those who actually live in this development an improved quality of life. Thank you. Hello, we would like to now ask our last speaker to uh, state their name. Remember to star six to unmute yourself, and it is uh, Yeti Kale. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, thank you for the opportunity to speak. Uh, I am a resident of um, 9023 Cynthia Street, which is um, 10 foot away from, uh, from the border, the southern border of the proposed project. And as someone who will be directly impacted by this project, I want to underline very clearly to everyone that I am not opposed to having affordable housing 10 foot away from our lot line. I am not opposed to having all these people who need opportunity um, in their lives to live in this building. 
what we are opposed to as the neighbors is the design as proposed and the process that we are all excluded to provide our feedback and to raise our concerns. Um, I also want to underline that the report, um, the staff report, and I provided my concerns in writing with this, is so one-sided and so biased towards the development, which I want to give an example. The report um, refers to the, um, to the standards that the public officials can make um, comments about the, uh, the proposed plan while uh, underlining that they cannot be based on subjective or personal opinions. However, while evaluating the setback requirements and the concessions that are at your discretion, the report suggests that the, the proposal by the plan applicant for not providing the setbacks, but doing material modulations or facade movements in lieu of the, those required setback, uh, setbacks is sufficient. Uh, this is, in fact, a subjective statement by the staff and in no way can replace the measurable um, requirement of setbacks. So just to summarize, this is the, this is the right project. This, can, this is the right opportunity to the affordable housing, but we are strictly opposing to the, to the design as proposed, which is not right for the scale, which is not right for the total um, uh, units that will be increasing the amount of the traffic for our neighborhood. Thank you. Hello, commissioners. We did have one more person that go ahead and uh, raise their hand. And uh, Kaylee Rogers, please star six to unmute yourself. Hi, thank you so much. Uh, my name is Callie Rogers, and I'm a current resident of West Hollywood, and I'm calling to voice my support for the project. Uh, California, including West Hollywood, is in a housing crisis. While this project is bringing some inconveniences to some, it will be life-changing for others. WeHo is a dense urban area, and therefore big development should be expected, if not welcome. Uh, someone earlier mentioned that if you have children, you need to think about the city's future, and he is so right. It's something I think about all the time. Uh, I really have no idea how my daughter will ever afford to live in WeHo at the rate things are going unless we get this housing crisis under control. I'm also very excited at the notion that people with chronic illness and transition age youth will be included in this project. WeHo thrives off of its diverse population and this will only add to our vibrant community. And given the fact that they have a massively long wait list, I have a feeling that everyone living in the building will be grateful and feel incredibly lucky, regardless if some believe that the square, square footage is too small. Um, I really sincerely hope that we welcome our new neighbors at grocery stores, public parks, at our local library, and other fun events that the city has to offer. I take issue with the idea that people in affordable housing can't contribute or belong in this community. So uh, thank you so much for listening to all the comments tonight. And um, yeah, I hope you approve this project. Thank you. Chair, that was our last public speaker for this item. And I will turn it over to you. Uh, next up would be the applicant's rebuttal. Okay, thank you. Well, first I want to say thank you for everybody who spoke tonight. Those are really impactful comments, and I'm sure we will 
respond to some of them during our deliberation. Um, the applicant has five minutes to respond. Um, and if you want to go ahead, we'll take a break shortly thereafter. Thank you. I want to thank everyone who's come tonight sincerely and expressed their concerns about this project. We strive to be a good neighbor. We've been here for 35 years. We're not going anywhere. We're not trying to cram a project down anyone's throat. The majority of our properties are on neighborhood residential side streets. And most people have no idea that our housing is affordable housing. It's, um, it's scary. Like people said, it's scary to try something new. But we're in a housing crisis, and we've heard about the need, and it's incumbent upon us to do everything we can to house the maximum number of people possible. Yes, the units are small. I mean, that's the way it is. But this housing is a choice. No one is forced to live in this housing. This housing is for people who choose to sacrifice square footage to live close to where they work, to live close to their community, to forego their cars, to forego transit, and just be in their community that they're otherwise priced out of. So um, we've listened to the neighbors. We've made some very significant changes. And, um, and I just, I want to thank everyone for coming sincerely. And I want to thank everyone for their comments. And I want to thank you for your consideration. Uh, thank you, uh, Ryan Lederman again. Uh, and really do appreciate the, the turnout tonight and the heartfelt comments. Um, there might be somewhat of a misperception about who might live at Weatherly Palms. Uh, low income income is about $80,000 a year. And there were some comments tonight that said, these people won't shop at pavilions. They won't shop in the neighborhood. And that was Mr. Dickstein who said that. So to me, there's maybe a little bit of unease about those people who might live in the neighborhood, but those are people and they have money and they shop at grocery stores just like everyone else. Um, I have not only pro bono counsel, I'm on the board and I've been on the board for a long time. Our buildings are integrated into the neighborhood. We do not have issues whatsoever. I understand the legal arguments very clearly and I think uh, um, staff does as well as the, the commission. You've been apprised of it, of it qu quite well. Um, the concerns about parking, this site has a parking ratio that meets the demand. State law says zero parking. We are providing parking to meet the demand that we know in our experience is appropriate for the site. We're also additionally accommodating church parking and there's a condition of approval that goes ahead and addresses street parking as well to alleviate some of the concerns of the neighbors. With respect to construction, there are about 27 conditions <laughs> staff is imposing relating to uh, safe conditions and construction management, and the corporation is obligated to abide by those conditions. So I understand that this is new and scary for some people, um, but we have projects in very wealthy areas. We just uh, had a groundbreaking in Palm Springs, right next to uh, uh, Las Palmas, which is a very exclusive area. 
Um, we were just, uh, we're, we have projects all across the Los Angeles and West Hollywood area, and they're seamless. And, and perhaps some of the residents could come and visit some of the existing facilities, some of the existing communities that are integrated into the fabric of the city. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> so um, I'm gonna close the public comment portion of this hearing and we're gonna take a 10 minute break before we come back and do deliberation in which the commissioners will have the opportunity to continue asking questions. Take their seats please, thank you. So we have now closed the public uh, portion, the public hearing portion of this meeting, but we are retaining the right for commissioners to ask questions of the applicant and staff. And given all the comments, and I'm sure the questions that commissioners might have, I thought it might be a good place to start deliberation with just, if anybody does have questions of staff or applicants, that maybe we can ask those questions now before we get into each deliberation. Does anybody have questions of staff or, yes, Commissioner Copeland? Uh, thank you, Chair. Uh, yes, if you don't mind. Um, the, um, we have received some correspondence that I, uh, there were some questions about uh, public information requests that were not responded to or not in a timely manner. Do we know if there were requests that were not addressed or provided? I would say the, the Public Records Act component is separate from the hearing, but I know the city obviously strives to provide records consistent with the, the obligations under that state law, but um, I would say certainly that the, the uh, city staff team has been responsive to questions that have come in responsive to the, the project. Okay, and the, um, the two units the moderate income units that were set aside for the church. Um, did, does the city or staff in advance already know what the income levels are those and that they are indeed would, would meet that criteria or we just? Those two units are income restricted as moderate income units and so whoever goes into those units would have to qualify. Okay, so if they something happened and he did not ultimately qualify that would then there's a yeah so you're are you saying if their income increased or if their income was already too high to qualify right if we don't have that information now I mean it, what would happen if those two units did not qualify that have been set aside well I can't speak to the agreement between the church and the housing corporation but those units would be available to people who qualify for moderate income units. And so um, whether that's somebody from, that's affiliated with the church per an agreement or whether that's somebody else, it would be someone who income qualifies. Okay, thank you. Um, thank you, Chair. I do have a question for the applicant when that comes up, but that's it for staff. Thank you. Do we have any other questions for staff? Vice Chair Lombardi. Just a quick follow-up question to that. So if the units are available to anyone who income qualifies, what is the process for verifying that? I, I would defer to either the applicant or someone from, yeah, the applicant I think would be the best person to respond to that. Does the, uh, does the, does the city, receive documentation or 
I understand that the, the process that leads up to it might be different, but how does it hit the city? Like, how do you? Yeah, this is it? Allison Bartle. I'm with the Housing um, Department, Public uh, Property Development Department of the city. So there's various income sources, funding sources on this project. Um, and so it's not just the city and not just the applicant reviewing this project. They're going to win tax credits. They're going to have county funds. And these are all of the, you know, lease up is reviewed by all the um, folks that are contributing to the project. So. If you want to talk to the applicant about how the lease-up project works funding source by funding source, you can direct that question towards them. But again, this is income restricted, including the mod income units. Who verifies that it's being used as such? The city, the county, if they win county funds, the state, if they win state funds, you know, federal funds, if they win um, LIHTC funds. At this point, the project isn't fully financed, so that's still to be determined in terms of all the funders that will be on this agreement. So there would be some sort of documentation that the city would review? Yes. If funding was, what about, it? Only, if, only for funding purposes? I, I guess I'm trying to understand the process because it seems a little bit different than the typical that we hear here. Well, the city reviews it because of the funding tied to it. In this case, we put in a $10 million commitment, and therefore, you know, we are tied to various restrictions that are in their regulatory agreements. Okay, so in one way or another, this is all going to be checked and routinely checked too, because yes. it could, like, yearly, annual basis or something. Again, it depends on the funding source, okay. but annual is typical. Thank you. Yep. All right, thank you. Appreciate it. Any other questions? No? Um, I do have a question for legal. So by state law, we're required to make a decision on this project within 60 days with a 30-day extension. And I understand that that deadline is January 1st, correct? I believe the deadline based on when the CEQA determination was made by the city uh, is in early January, yes. Okay. Um, if we denied this project, what are, the, what are the recourses of a denial? Well, the Planning Commission would have to make requisite findings to explain sort of why uh, the project didn't meet the criteria laid out within the resolution. Um, and so part of that, in terms of having a Housing Accountability Act uh, project uh, that's eligible for density bonus uh, under state law would, would also require findings that are based on substantial evidence in the record. Um, for sort of the various components of the project to explain, for instance, why if you just take like the concessions as an example, which is a density bonus component of the project, uh, there's, there's different findings that would have to be made. So I'm just using this as an example relevant to the density bonus component. Uh, you know, the city would have to make the, the findings associated with a substantial adverse impact based on evidence in the system. So. Practically, you know, you'd have to go through that process for each of the findings, and then um, the project uh, would be denied, and the, the applicant would be able to appeal it. There would be uh, certainly, I'm sure, uh, action on that on that end in terms of whether those findings had been made based on evidence in the record. 
Thank you. Um, so in regards to the 10% modification, if we deny that asset, that modification, the project can still continue and that modification or that adjustment to the building happens before the building department issues any permits. It does, it does not come back to the Planning Commission. Because the, uh, so staff's recommendation is to make the hardship findings to approve the one foot uh, setbacks, roughly one foot setbacks for rear and side, uh, and make that discretionary decision. If the commission was to determine that it could not make those findings and it could not support um, the standard modifications, then uh, that would need to be stated on the record as part of the motion, and the item would come back on consent because those findings would need to be incorporated in writing into the materials, into the resolution, um, and additionally, uh, staff would need to go through the, the findings elsewhere with respect to the standard modification and the recommendation resolution that's in front of the commission this evening. Thank you. Um, that's helpful, just so we all have context to start a discussion and deliberation on. Does anybody want to take a first try? Uh, Commissioner Gregoire. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Can we hold? Do we have any questions for the applicant? Uh, Commissioner Copeland. Sorry. Sorry, thank you, Chair. Um, just listening to the uh, presentation earlier, talking about the other um, projects throughout the city, and I just wondered about the lot and unit size comparison, like in the residential areas, are any of these other projects also exceeding what the local zoning would um, require? Like this one is, is seven stories rather than it's four. I understand normally is this is this something that's, that's new and has not been done elsewhere in the city, in other words, in the residential areas? The question you're asking is, have we taken advantage of density bonus law Like in a, in a res, on a residential street such as this, by comparison, as opposed to not like Sierra Bonita or something that's on the, yes. um, like Hayworth House, for instance, is on Hayworth. That's a, a two-story building. Yes. Um, but as far as this lot and this density in, in this type of residential area, is this, this is, is new or do we have another example of? Our last project in the city of West Hollywood, Blue Hibiscus, had 100% density bonus, which was the standard for 100% affordable housing um, prior to this new state legislation. And that's mm -hmm. typical for us to take advantage of the density bonus like that. Okay, so this, this lot size and unit size would not be something new or unheard of? In, it is not new or unheard of in our portfolio. In West Hollywood, in I West mean. Hollywood, like I said, we have taken advantage. We've always taken the maximum advantage of state density bonus law right. available at the time. This is the first time that we are able to take advantage of this here in West Hollywood. Because so this would be a first in, in some ways? It would be the, yes. Okay, thank you for your time, sure. I appreciate it. And just, if I may, your question in regard to the two church units, we do have the income information for the uh, pastor and the groundskeeper, and they both uh, qualify 
far below the income limits. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Chair. That's it thank you. Me. Any other questions for, for the applicant? No? All right, um, Commissioner Gregoire, sorry. Go ahead. Um, I do support staff's recommendation to approve this project. Um, I do appreciate all the community that came out to express their concerns about it. Um, however, you know, state law in recent years has been amended to really tie our hands. Um, when I joined this commission two years ago, I thought this commission had a lot of discretion. We don't really have that much discretion anymore. State law has taken that away from us. Um, I do believe the project meets all the requirements of the Housing Accountability Act and state density bonus law. Uh, we don't really have a basis to deny this project tonight. Um, I know there are two small minor modifications that we do have discretion over, but I feel like those modifications are de minimis. They'll have a de minimis impact on the community. Um, and I think it would hurt the project to, to deny those modification requests. Um, I, 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 you know, there are aspects of the project that I have concerns of too. You know, I, I'm not a fan of the concept of the micro unit. Um, Open-minded about it, experiment with it. I have concerns about that. Um, if I were in the state legislature, I, I don't think I would have taken local control away from, with respect to parking. State law says that we cannot consider the parking at all. This, we cannot require even one parking space in this project. Um, and, uh, you know, that's not the bait. While I appreciate the concern that there will be a parking impact in the neighborhood. We can't legally consider that in making our decision tonight. Um, I do appreciate, you know, the residents have come forward, expressed concern about their views being blocked, their sunlight being blocked. Those two are not proper legal bases to deny this project this evening. Um, so, I. I I generally support affordable housing. I'm, I'm thrilled that this project will be ad adding 88 or 89 affordable units to our city. I think that's a, that's a terrific thing. I, I, but um, my sense is that uh, once this project is built, I think, I think the neighborhood is going to realize that the negative impacts that they feared are not going to come to pass. Um, hope that's not the case. Um, so that's all I have to say, and uh, I'll be voting yes on an eventual motion to approve this project. Thank you, Commissioner Gregoire. Commissioner Matos. Thank you, Chair. Appreciate that. First of all, I, I want to thank every single member of the public that came out to spend your evening with us and to take the time to make a public comment. I, I want you to know that I listened to every single public comment intensively and that I've read every single public comment that has come in, even in the 11th hour. Um, your voices are heard um, and I want you to know that. Um, that being said, I do wanna address some of the uh, realities that we're facing with specificity and uh, information. 
Um, to Commissioner Gregoire's point, there has been several amendments to what's called the Housing Accountability Act. Um, this has removed local control from jurisdictions. It's also given um, affordable housing developments the right to certain concessions and waivers that local jurisdictions are unable to consider and unable to remove or to make a determination in a different direction. Um, this isn't by way of a decision, this is by way of the, here, this is by way of a decision that was occurring in Sacramento in response to a very real housing crisis. Um, and it has effectively changed how we look at projects. What are we doing here then? What we're here to do is to look at this project within the confines of the Housing Accountability Act. There's a very narrow set of criteria that we're allowed to look at per state law and actually consider whether or not this project meets those requirements. And when, you know, while I definitely appreciate everyone's voice and I understand the concerns and I hear them, my job here is to look at this project in the confines of state law. That is the role. You know, my mom and my dad used to say, you follow the law. Uh, and I'm gonna continue to do that. That's what we're doing here. Um, you know, when you look at the parking issue, specifically, Assembly Bill 2097 passed in 2022 and went into enactment in January 1, 2023. What does AB 2097 do? It eliminates parking requirements for local jurisdictions. That means that a local jurisdiction can no longer say that you need to have one space per unit or two spaces per unit. It's just a reality. And I think to the point of the city attorney, and I'll try to make this in a short, in a short measure, is that <clears throat> if this project were challenged and taken to the state, it would, it would stand because it's meeting the state law requirements. I, you know, I, I promise you, I take the time to review every single project. I take this role so seriously because I love the city so much. I review every single line in this condition. I can cite them, some of them off of memory. Um, and when I review this project, they all, it meets the state law requirements. Um, there's also just a lot of people were bringing up CEQA, um, the California Environmental Quality Act. There is a section within CEQA, specifically section 15194, that grants exemptions for affordable housing projects like this. So when you're looking at this from a legal perspective, from a purely policy perspective, and what we're here to do, it is meeting the requirements. And that is the reality. It, you can't put in your personal feelings with it. It's just black and white, it's state law. Um, so I just wanted to provide that information. And I also wanted to just mention that this body, earlier in 2023, requested that the city attorney do a briefing on changes to state law that were enacted on January 1, 2023. That meeting was on April 6th, 2023. It's available on WeHo TV, um, on YouTube. You can watch that meeting and there's a very robust outline of state law changes, of what policies have changed and what the outlook looks like at the state level. So I, I encourage you to review that. Um, the other thing, you know, I just wanna address, um, you know, 
the fire department did review. It's in the staff report. Um, there's been a lot of review on this project. I understand that people have concerns, but those concerns are out of our hands this evening, and that's just the reality. Um, I do want to give a little bit of personal touch to this. Um, this is an affordable housing project, and it's going to provide a really meaningful opportunity for people to come to this city and afford to live and work here. I'm just a kid from the Central Valley, grew up with a single mom, and I got here looking for affordable housing. Um, so for whatever it's worth, um, I'd see this as an opportunity to provide needed affordable options in our community um, so that people can come be part of our society in a meaningful way, be part of our city in a meaningful way. Um, and I think that that's something that should be looked at positively. I know, understand that people have concerns. I acknowledge those concerns. I have heard them, I promise you. Um, but just looking at the silver lining here, that is a good thing, that we're creating an opportunity for young people or people who are struggling or people who are working in our restaurants and our bars to be able to come here and live here. I think that that is a very real opportunity. And, and for that reason and for those whole scopes of reasons, I'm going to be supporting this tonight. Um, so thank you for that. Thank you. Commissioner Edwards. Um, I, 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 I just could put my, my, I love the city. I'm in the city for a very specific reason. It's because I'm a kid from Cleveland Heights who's, um, self-identifies as a mixed race black man and Jewish. And so I operate in a liminal space, and that liminality um, doesn't always offer safety. So I got lucky that my parents were able to move into a community in northeastern Ohio that was open to integration, and that there was real intention in that by all the, uh, uh, most of the folks in the city. And the reason for that was because there was an intentional effort to organize and have these conversations about what does it take for us to healthily integrate. And so what I love about the city of West Hollywood is there's that same intention of being a creative city, to have the moral imagination to say what can we do differently to ensure that we are inclusive. Because we all came from somewhere, for most of us, to, to this city because it offered a sanctuary. And Thirdly, I want to add that the duly elected officials in Sacramento were elected, and they were elected, and they are feeling the pressure to address a crisis. So they have their moral obligation to do something about it. And I understand that City West Hollywood, we see ourselves as an exception to the rule, but we're 88 cities, and there's tons of cities throughout the state of California that have not done their fair share. And so you can't just do carve-outs and say, well, City West Hollywood is not obligated to follow the same rules and regulations that everybody else is when we have a housing crisis. So there's that mandate. And then when it comes to parking, I just hope you understand that when they passed these legislation up in a state, it was based on really good, solid science. We know what the parking needs are for a particular type of uses. It's been consistent. And it kind of give you, the, you know, here's this 
the quick backstory about parking and regulations and how he came up with these rules. There is, I think it's the International Transportation, EE something, I can't remember exactly what it is, but what they did was they did studies in other states under other conditions that does not relate to us. In fact, I'll tell you quickly that in the city of LA, when Councilmember Wendy Gruel chaired the Transportation Committee, she thought for sure that we would need more parking. So she asked the city of LA Transportation Department to look into it. They looked into it and it quietly went away because they realized we actually need much less parking. So this two you know, parking spots for one is not based on any real science. That's, you know, that's particular to us. So I just want to help everybody understand that, that this is not just something that was mandated in, in without, you know, without thinking about the consequences of trying to be smart about it. And so I, I agree with um, Commissioners Matos and Gregoire. I'm, I'm obviously going to support this uh, project. Um, I think, I understand that there's been some legal arguments made around the, um, the part about, you know, that was more, you know, that we can make. But it doesn't, if we were to try to stop it based on those three items, it still goes against the intent of the Housing Accountability Act. And so we would not be acting in good faith. And so for all the reasons I listed and what's expressed in the staff report, and plus, you know, the police, if fire, if they all make an opinion about this, or actually not an opinion, based on their professional, you know, what they're responsible for doing, public safety is their mandate, that if they state something is safe, then I'm going to rely on that finding by our public safety officials and all the other professionals who are involved in this process. And so I will close by saying this. I really, really appreciate everybody coming here. This is a unique gift in the world to come to a space to share your thoughts and for us to listen and try to offer solutions when we have that opportunity. And just thank you to everybody, and we heard you. Like, you know, Commissioner Matos, I have a ton of notes about everything that everybody said. It's fascinating, and thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Edwards. Commissioner Copeland. Uh, thank you, Chair. Um, of course, read all the information in, in the packet and, and uh, listened to all the public comment. And I'm very torn about this. This is very difficult because absolutely I have been asking for and encouraging 100% uh, affordable buildings. Um, but I have issues with what I feel are insufficient information in, in a couple of areas. Um, Historic Preservation Commission expressed that they did not receive sufficient information to even make a finding or recommendations to us. And there's no denying that this is next to a cultural resource that, and it will be affected by it in some way. The question is to what extent. Uh, I think it would have been important to have more input. It would have been important to have the original um, resolution with a designation in it that uh, talked about defining features. I know the windows were, were some of them, and those will be will be blocked. Um, the um, the UDES agreement. Um, which we were told was not in our, our purview, but in the staff report it did list 
item after item that was recommended, suggested, um, and those were not implemented. Um, and this is supposed to be a cooperation and partnership. We don't know to what degree. Um, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with, uh, you know, if, if they were to remove this, this, the top floor and there were no modifications, which exacerbates the massing, um, there's no denying that. Um, if we had a CEQA uh, study in EIR, I mean, that would be different. I think I would have sufficient information to just be over the line, okay, I'm confident with this, I'm comfortable with it. Right now, um, because I'm not confident that I have the information to make that kind of a, a decision, uh, and I'm aware of what we are required by law to do as well on the other hand, but I think not only are we rendered impotent in some things by uh, state, but that we do need sufficient information, and I don't feel that we've received that. So my uh, thought right now is that I'm going to need to abstain from this because of these concerns. Staff is legal. Is There's no issue with that. Is that correct? Uh, correct. I would say uh, we have a quorum, and, and okay. uh, yeah. Thank you. Vice Chair Lombardi. Uh, thank you. Um, well, first of all, I do want to say it was really refreshing to see so many people in the audience, and, and especially some of you that have held out here to this point. Um, and we have more items after this. Um, but I, I do really appreciate it. It's nice to hear from everyone. Um, I, I think this project certainly is challenging. Um, and perhaps be even shocking to some of the community in terms of its mass and scale, and perhaps especially to you know uh, the immediately adjacent um, community members. But we discussed this at length during design review. Um, we did make suggestions. Some of those have been implemented. And uh, at the end of the day, um, uh, to me, it, it appears we don't really have um, discretion over the height or the density of the project. Um, you know, with regards to the modifications, it seems like we do have some discretion there, but when I look at the arguments toward those modifications, they actually seem sensible to me. Um, you know, the setbacks, I understand that that pushes the building a little bit closer to the adjacent property properties, but also um, we have some constraints at the front yard. So there's a lot of logic to all of that, so it's hard for me to really get on board with there being um, an issue or concern there in terms of our review. Um, with regards to the, the project um, being 100% affordable, uh, I have to appreciate and believe that, that staff and legal's opinion on this is correct. It's a 100% affordable project. Um, and I just want to point out that, you know, I really truly believe that a successful city is a diverse city, and that can mean so many things um, income, race, race or ethnicity, gender identity. Um, you know, a city that's all poor or all rich is a city that's destined for failure. We need to have um, a city that can, can work for everyone, and we need that diversity. And um, the cost of housing is so high in California, so high in West Hollywood, and that's just the reality. Um, and, and state law has, you know, pushed us in this direction um, where we're looking at a very narrow window of items that we can 
decide on and review today uh, for those reasons. So, you know, I guess I, what I'd like to say is um, at the end of the day, I, I'm 100% on board with this project. And I do ask that the applicant will do anything possible to ensure the project lives up to the standards of the city of West Hollywood, really makes it exemplary. Um, I, I, I know that there's a lot of challenges on a project like this. Um, so if you can be accountable. I know we were hard on, hard on everyone during design review and, and maybe even now we're coming from a, a space of wanting to make the project a success. Um, I would suggest that you look at doing anything that is possible to increase the size of the units, um, maybe implement more Juliet balconies that are open to air but don't have outdoor patios per se. Um, I, I trust that there's some opportunity for continued refinement. We've already seen some of it since this went to design review. Um, laundry, uh, disbursement of laundry um, facilities, not consolidating them all to, to one area. I still believe that that would be very helpful um, given the residents that would be in the building. Um, but, but ultimately we have uh, challenges with population, environment, um, all the housing issues that have been stated. So I really appreciate all of the, the feedback that we've heard today from, from everyone that's been out here. Um, I'm in principle on board with the project and I think it's, it's um, you know, it's going to be an adjustment for people, but it's it's what we need. Um, I do have one one minor note. I am a little bit concerned about safety factor with the parking and the unusual condition that we have people that are not residents using it. So I guess one suggestion I have is if we include some sort of condition such as, um, what did I write here? A representative of the church uh, needs to monitor the parking during the times in which parking is made accessible for persons utilizing the church and related church services. I just want to make sure we're covered there because it is a little bit unusual. Um, and I think there's multiple ways that could be handled. So I don't want us to overly, you know, prescribe what that is. Uh, but I think that would be a welcome um, adjustment that I would, I would really push for. Otherwise, I, I am in support of the project within um, all the considerations that we've had. I realize it's a dense project, but um, it is exciting to have a 100% affordable project. I, I, I think that the city needs it, and um, it, you know, it's large, but I, I, again, we need to make housing, so here we are. Thank you, Vice Chair Lombardi. Um, these have all been very thoughtful deliberations and comments, so I won't repeat what's already been said. Um, as you all know, I'm a proponent of micro-units. I believe that, you know, the um, making our carbon footprint smaller is something that we should all esteem to do. And it's important in regards to our immediate environment and our global environment. So I don't have an issue with these smaller units. And like several of the public comments mentioned, you know, it would, it's preferable than not having a home and it gives people a launching pad to move forward, and I think that's commendable. From a design perspective, which I know we're not discussing, but since it came up so often in public comment, um, just everybody should know that the applicant has no reason to uh, take in any of our design comments if they don't want to, and they did, and they crafted quite a beautiful building. And they did respond to some of the comments, not all of them, but regardless, it's still a well-crafted building. 
And like one of the other public comments that was made, it was like, we're looking at the city now, or we're, some of us are considering the city the way it looks now, as opposed to maybe in 10, 20 years from now, when a generation has moved through and the city has fundamentally changed, and this building could be setting a precedence for the future of our city. And from that point of view, the well-crafted, well-designed project is something that would be good in our environment because it sets a high bar for future projects. I also want to address, because there, there was a letter that implied that they wished the new building reflected the language of the church, the design language of the church. And, you know, from my perspective and from my experience having doing lots of projects in the city of LA, where they often, they always ask that when you're near a historic resource, you juxtapose that project as much as possible. You don't try to mimic what's next door or what you're adding on to, because it muddles what's historic and what's new. And I think in this regard, this project clearly makes a statement that I'm new and the church is historic and the two are not muddled. And in that regard, I don't feel like this is gonna overshadow the church. The church has such a prominent position on that corner and it has a very distinctive language that is really born out of the last turn of the century when the state determined that Spanish colonial architecture was going to be the language for government and most buildings in, in Southern California. It's a totally different point of view now. So in regards to that, I'm in support of the project. And I'm happy to hear that the uh, modification is not in question in any of the deliberations because I understand that the fault line takes away 200 square, 285 square feet, and the modification adds 164 square feet. I'm not sure if that's per floor or in total. I'm assuming that's per floor. But either way, the fault line does create an adverse effect on the project and would decrease the number of units and the number of units that we would have um, on this site. So in that regards, and with all the other comments that I agree with. And thank you, everybody, for all the comments that you've made and the letters that you've written. Um, I'm in support of the project also. So, yes, Commissioner Matos. I'd like to make a motion. <laughs> okay, I was gonna ask. Go ahead. Uh, I'd like to m move that we uh, move this project forward with a staff recommendation. Do we have a second? Second. Commissioner Edwards. I'm just curious if there's any thought on the recommended additional note. Are we okay with the motion? I, I'm curious if anyone would be open, I guess, Commissioner Matos, to the note about monitoring the parking during the times at which the parking is made accessible to the church. Uh, I would <laughs> prefer not to have that, that requirement imposed on the West Hollywood Community Housing Corporation. What was, what was, sorry. I, my question or concern was just that there's a parking that's off site effectively, right? There's parking that's not for the residents. And um, we now know that there's a gate at the door, which I didn't see in the plan, so that's good. But is, 
just the idea that it's open or people could be coming and going um, within a residential building is a little unusual. And as you've seen in commercial mixed-use residential, we've usually had a, had a separation of parking. It doesn't make sense to do that here. So I guess I'm just asking that there's effectively someone that's making sure when it's open for the church that people aren't just able to come and go. Well, that seems to go back to an operational question. Yes, yeah. Be, so do we want to ask the applicant? Or I mean, yeah, I guess it might be a question for the applicant, but well, there's a motion on the floor, so yeah, I, would I don't say know. We have a first and a second, um, and I believe we have some language that maybe we can suggest to address Commissioner Lombardi's concern, and then it would be up to the motion maker in the second whether or not they're amenable to that with the live motion on the floor. I'm, I'm fine with hearing it. Hi. Um, so the condition reads, uh, the building operator shall ensure that the parking spaces available to the church are monitored to ensure that the spaces are used exclusively by authorized patrons at all times that the church has access to the parking. I would, I would, Mr. Matos, are you okay with that? I'm okay with it, but I would also ask my colleague Edwards, yes. and my other colleagues where they're at with that. We're fine. Chair. Commissioner Copeland, anyone? She's abstained. Okay. Okay. Cool. I appreciate so that. Thank you. I think it. Yep. And just to note on the record, so the motion, as approved by or, or as modified by the motion maker in the second, has the condition that was just read into the record regarding uh, parking authorization, um, and so that is the current motion to approve the project as recommended with that one additional condition of approval. Yes. And the second? Yes, thank you. Yes. And the motion passes. Uh, uh, five ayes, one abstention, one absence. The Planning Commission just approved resolution PC 231534. Memorializes the Commission's final action on this matter. This action is subject to appeal to the City Council. Appeals must be submitted within 10 calendar days from this date to the City Clerk's Office. Appeals must be in writing and accompanied by the required fees. The City Clerk's Office can provide appeal forms and information about waiver of fees. Thank you. All right, so we're going to move on to item 10, um, section 2, other, other items that require a public hearing. Uh, zone test amendment for emission vehicle showrooms. Planning Commission uh, has been asked to have a public hearing to consider a recommendation to the City Council to permit and regulate zero emission showrooms in all commercial and public facility zones in West Hollywood, California. And, Excuse me. Thank you. Um, and we have a staff report. Yes. Um, thank you, Chair and Commissioners. Uh, we don't have the PowerPoint up yet. Uh, Are they locked in? Oh, we're waiting for the connection to the Zoom platform.
David, do you need to read the appeal language for the other item? I'm sorry? Did you need to repeat the re-read re the... No, no, we're, no, we're good okay. to go now. Okay, great. Okay. Thank you. Um, Francisco? Yeah, thank you, uh, Chair and Commissioners. I'm Jerry Hittleman, a contract planner with the city. And as stated, the item before you tonight is a zone text amendment to allow zero emission vehicle showrooms in all commercial zones. Let's see. Uh, we'll start out with uh, some background, then what the current regulations are, proposed amendments, and then our recommendation to you. So here's the background. Uh, as you can see, there's a lot of policies and trends that have recently been enacted for uh, zero emission vehicles. Uh, we have the Biden-Harris Electric Vehicle Charging Action Plan, and that um, requires a, that half of all new vehicles sold in the U.S. by 2030 be electric vehicles. Uh, California has the Zero Emission Vehicle Action Plan, and um, I won't go into all the details, but that, they're, they're basically saying that all new vehicle sales uh, to be EVs by 2035. And, and you can see that um, on the graph on the right-hand side, the electric vehicle sales are going up uh, tremendously in L.A. County currently. Right now, there's only one uh, car dealership in the city that's the specialty car collection. It's up on Sunset Boulevard, uh, 8929 Sunset Boulevard in the Sunset Specific Zone, a specific plan zone. So the current regulations only allow vehicle sales in the CC, the Community Commercial um, Sunset Specific Plan, and commercial uh, arterial zones currently. So it's pretty limited to the major roadway, Santa Monica Boulevard, Sunset Boulevard, so forth. Uh, recent, we've, uh, the city has received a number of recent requirements for ZEV showrooms. And these, you know, uh, are typically showrooms that are a little different than your typical car dealership. They're, I won't go into it, but they're smaller and um, they have an interior gallery and maybe a little bit of a community space in there as well. So it's a little bit different. Uh, so here are some of the differences. Sometimes you can order the vehicle online, although you can order other vehicles online, I, I realize now as well. <clears throat> There's no uh, typically on-site inventory, only the display models. Uh, you can do test drives either by appointment or you can show up in some of these dealerships as well. Uh, there's typically, again, no on-site repair shop. It's a reduced footprint, they're smaller, and they call themselves concierge instead of salespeople. So here's some pictures. You've probably seen them around town. Uh, Tesla, Lucid. Uh, Polestar, and then Rivian also. So uh, one example, you know, down on the Third Street Mall in Santa Monica, they have, Tesla's been there for a while, so maybe you've seen that one. And then the proposed amendments are, uh, we're looking at new definitions. So we're looking at a, 
zero emission vehicle definition, which, uh, let me see, I'll read that off to you. Um, have it in the staff report right here. So that is a vehicle that does not emit exhaust gas or other pollutants from the onboard source of power under any and all possible operational modes and conditions. And that includes um, plug-in electric vehicles, and it also includes fuel cell electric vehicles that are coming on board now as well. Then the other definition we're looking at adding is zero emission vehicle showroom, and that's a retail establishment focusing on zero emission vehicle sales, display, and customer consumer education. And it does not include, as we stated, vehicle repair, uh, vehicle part sales, or vehicle rentals, uh, um, delivery from the site, or exterior vehicle storage, except up to a maximum of five test vehicles. So we are um, proposing a new section in the zoning code, which would be uh, that the ZEV showrooms are a maximum of 10,000 square feet. Uh, they have a circulation plan approved for circulation and egress and ingress to the site and how they would do their test drives also. Uh, display and screening requirements for on-site vehicles only. And no ZEVs shall be parked in the public right-of-way. Uh, maximum of five uh, vehicles in the showroom and maximum of five ZEVs for test drives on site. So it'd be a smaller operation. Uh, this came from the long range uh, planning subcommittee that re uh, recommended that there be only one space per 1,000 square feet of um, showroom or the retail space. And that would be for parking on site. And then here's uh, with the zones that where these EV showrooms would be allowed. So it would be the commercial neighborhood on the left, um, the Sunset Specific Plan, commercial arterial, commercial regional, the Pacific Design Center, and also the public facility zone. And I highlighted the two that where vehicle sales are currently allowed, which are in the middle. So with that, staff recommends that the Planning Commission adopt a resolution recommending that the City Council approve an ordinance allowing ZEV showrooms in all commercial and public facility zoning districts and finding that the action is categorically exempt from CEQA. Uh, thank you, and we're available for any questions or feedback at this point. Thank you, Jerry. Um, do we have any questions for staff? Nope. Vice Chair Lombardi. Am I really the only one? <laughs> oh, people are hiding, I see. <laughs> oh, okay, well, since I'm talking, um, the, the, there's a couple of questions that I have. Um, I mean, this all makes sense to me. Um, I'll save some comments for deliberation, but I know parking is something that has been flagged and I'm concerned about too. So 
Um, you know, are they going to put curb cuts or other things in to get vehicles into and out of the showroom? And then related to that, um, I understand that it's five vehicles in the showroom up to and five vehicles for testing purposes. So I'm also wondering when one is scheduling a car for a test drive, are they then going to ask for some sort of a loading zone, for lack of a better word, to pull that car up to? Because I know that sometimes when we see like a bar, a restaurant, or other larger development mixed-use projects, there may be a, um, a loading zone that's, that's requested and sometimes welcomed. It may encourage fewer people to drive and park and take more parking. In this case, it kind of is a different purpose because it's for the, the service of that um, business. So I'm wondering if those concerns need to be addressed, the, the curb cut and the... Um, idea of a loading zone, and I realize that, that that could be done at director level, but it may, there may be some confusion um, in intent, and maybe that's a part of deliberation too, but I'd like to hear staff's um, thoughts on that. Sure. Um, I can add that as a policy, our um, engineering team and our public works team do not um, support curb cuts for, you know, commercial um, uh, enterprise for retail um, development. Um, we did mention this to the team and they said they would not allow that. Um, with regards to the loading zone, um, they did mention that they would treat this as, you know, any other request for a loading zone, to be, like the restaurant case that um, uh, Vice Chair Lombardi just mentioned. Um, it would be on a case-by-case -case basis. So if um, they a, did, a request came in that would have to study, you know, where 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 is it located? Are there any other impacts? Would parking meters have to be removed, and therefore some of that revenue has to be um, recouped? Um, so it's sort of on a case by case basis. Um, I would venture to say, if if the commission wanted to prohibit both of those things, we could um, add some additional language into the um, the zone text. Um, so that we just exp you know explicitly prohibit that, um, but at least with the uh, the loading zones, it sounds like our engineering um, team would just look on it on a case by case basis, and they wouldn't permit it where it wouldn't make any sense. Okay, and then maybe for some additional context, um, uh, a restaurant. I mean, there there's sometimes a, a need for a valet or something, so things can change over time. Um, but they wouldn't be asking for a curb cut, but they might be asking for a loading area, right? That would be the difference between a restaurant case, for example, and, and something like a ZEV -E showroom. Right, right, yeah, and potentially the, the showroom could have on-site parking as well. Like some um, retail establishments have parking already on the lot, so there would be no need for, you know, uh, a, a, a loading area, you know, a drop-off or pick-up in front of the, the venue. Um, so, again, that's why it kind of depends on a case-by-case -case basis. Okay. Thank you. That's the only question or two questions that I had. Commissioner Copeland. Hi. Thank you. Um, I noticed in the uh, long-range planning staff report that um, Traditionally, they do not have vehicles on site available for test drive. It's something that people arrange to do elsewhere. But um, the one on Sunset, do they have? 
uh, vehicles available for, for test drivers? Is this going to be something new that's just been applied for here? I, be, I believe they do have test drives, but probably very limited. Those are very, very expensive cars. Right. So it's not like you can just go in there and test drive. Um, so I'm assuming similar to some of the uh, ZEV showrooms, it's by appointment only. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just not anybody you know off the street could could come in and and, and do a test drive. Um, the business models also are very different from one um, manufacturer vendor to, to another, another, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, some of the operators may have a test drive center, where instead of actually performing test drives on site, they actually have you, the driver, go to a particular location, mm -hmm. um, be it in Santa Monica or somewhere where they have a larger facility to do your test drive there. So it's just various models. We were just trying to accommodate as many you know, potential options as possible. Right, uh, and, and you're talking about five for test drives and five just for in the showroom just to display. Right. So it would be 10 total, but only five of those would be actually driven test drives, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. And we've sort of chosen number five because right now I believe Tesla is probably the one company that has the most number of vehicles. And as of now, they have five you know, vehicles. So if we had a Tesla showroom that wanted to showcase all of the different that's, vehicles, that's where the numbers came from. It okay. would be five because as of now, okay. you know, they're all the right. largest manufacturer. Thank you. That's it for me, Chair. Thank you. Any other questions? No? Um, I'll open the public speaker portion of the public hearing. Do we have any public speakers on this item? Chair, we are all clear. Okay, so then I'll close the public speaker portion of the public hearing and we'll move on to commissioner deliberation. Commissioner Gregoire, thank you. Um, we, we looked at this at long range planning and we didn't see any concerns. Um, so I will support it again this evening. Great, thank you. Second. Edwards? That's a motion, I'll second it. Is it a motion? Yeah, okay, so we have a second, um, yeah. but we'll finish off comments. Commissioner okay. Copeland, nothing? Commissioner Matos, no? Vice Chair Lombardi? My only comment slash maybe question for deliberation is after hearing staff's explanation, um, I'm not as really concerned about a request for a loading zone or area that came up, and you know, who knows what the scenarios are, right? Um, I do wonder if the curb cut is like something that might want to be put into the code just so we don't wind up with curb cuts or completely lost parking all the time um, to make it really clear to the applicant before they come in with a request and then this uh, city needs to explain their, their standpoint. I don't know. I'm, again, I'm curious what everyone else thinks. But then and beyond that, my opinion is, um, I mean, I, I like that this um, that we're looking at this zone text and I feel like retail has been a challenge and all cities struggle with, you know, how retail is utilized and um, encouraging it versus, you know, vacant space. And so this allows some additional opportunity and it does seem like the way that these um, stores operate is quite different than a typical um, car sales, uh, you know, location, which would potentially have a lot of other negative impacts, more more cars coming and going, more people coming and going, uh, parking, and, and then also lots of test driving, all that. So I'm in, generally in support of it. I'm kind of curious about the curb cut, but otherwise it, there's already a motion in a second. So I wanted to give my opinion before we race and see if anyone has any thoughts on that. Any further comments on that? No? 
Okay. And so, so just that, for the record, so the, the motion uh, from Commissioner Gregoire with the second from Commissioner Edwards was to approve staff's recommendation to recommend the zone text amendment to the city council. And the motion passes, six ayes, noting Commissioner Jones absent on this vote. Uh, the resolution number PC 23-1535, uh, there is no appeal process. It is a recommendation to City Council. Thank you. Item 11, new business. Discuss upcoming Planning Commission meetings and subcommittee calendar for 2024. <laughs> Yes, for 2024, because there's not anything on the docket for 2021. So um, December 7th, the meeting has been canceled. I think December 21st, the meeting has been canceled or will be canceled tonight. Are, are you are you giving the update? What is that? Are you giving the update? Yes. For, for, oh, because this is for the approving of the, the calendar oh, for next Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was already one um, agenda item ahead, so. I, I will I will retract all of my statements. I'll just jump I'll jump in real quick up real quick. Uh, staff just basically has two dates that you'd like to we'd like you to consider. I believe it's April twenty or December nineteenth, which is the optional last meeting of the year that we have historically always canceled. You can leave it open in case we do need it, or you can cancel it. Um, so that would be your prerogative. And then we'd also like to question you on um, April 25th. That's a Passover. Uh, it doesn't actually fall on Passover day, but it is part of the Passover holiday. So that would be an optional date if you want to cancel or keep it open for a date, for a meeting date. So those are really the only two dates. The other dates are pretty uh, standard for cancellations. So now, sorry, I'm lost. Where are we on the agenda? <clears throat> oh, the calendar. Oh, I see. Okay. So, do we have comments on that? Anybody has any opposition to that idea? I think everybody. The, que the question is, if we're okay with keeping the dates open. For, for April. For clarification, so this is for 2024. So December 19th would, it's a traditionally would be. It would be canceled, yeah. And then you're saying but April 25th is. Is it within the Passover holiday? Yeah, but it's not on the first. But it's day. right, correct. Okay. I have a question, if I may. Uh, sorry, question maybe for David because I I think we have a potential meeting that may be canceled this year, but. Can we, would there be the option if we find it, like let's say there's a housing project or something else that we could re-enable a date as it gets closer if we found that we knew that something was coming our way and it was time sensitive? Yes, that is, yes, that is possible. I mean, I know that's not ideal for planning, but yeah. it's not It's not, irreversible. It's not we, can, we, can, we can do that. I don't know if that helps or hurts, but. We don't need to do an official vote on this. No, just speak by consensus. We just want to get your thoughts on, you know, if you actually want to cancel the meetings or just leave them open, optional. I would just leave them open. 
case I, we need I them. I agree. Leave them open. Okay, we'll leave those yep. two dates open then. Yep. And then the, we'll just go ahead and, and create the rest of the calendar as presented. Great. Okay, thank you. So the December 21 meeting has been canceled? The upcoming? Yes, it will be canceled. It has been canceled, yeah. okay. Okay, um, so that finish, finishes item 11. Item 12, unfinished business, we have none. Item 13, exclude consent calendar, we have none. 14, items from the staff, the planning manager's update, subcommittee management. Okay, thank you. Fantastic, so um, we just heard about uh, the cancellation of the December 21st uh, Planning Commission meeting. Um, so I think the next time we will see each other in these chambers is January 18th. So um, we will see you in the new year. Well, that seems like it's tomorrow. Wow. Um, uh, trans let's see. We have um, no meetings for design review subcommittee um, this year, so I think the next um, meeting that we have on the books is for January 11th, and that's to review um, 1006 through 1011 North Edinburgh Avenue, and that's a four-story, 11-unit residential project. Um, for the Sunset Arts and Advertising Subcommittee, there is an item uh, scheduled for January 25th, and that's for the review of 9039 Sunset Boulevard. Um, there are no um, items currently scheduled for a long-range planning uh, project subcommittee, um, so nothing on the calendar now. And yeah, it's a fairly light schedule um, due to the holidays, so I think those are my only updates. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Any Questions? No. Where's that? Oh, Vice Chair Lombardi. I know this is way out there, but I feel it's better to, to um, let you know now in case you're able to steer or direct anything. I tried to navigate around Planning Commission, but February 22nd, if that were to be a sassier design review date, I don't think I would be able to be present. Um, obviously, if I can make myself present, I will. I don't know what's planned or will be planned, but if there's a way to navigate around that date, if it's oscillating or something, I thought better to let you know now. That's great, thank you. Okay. We'll, we'll consider that, thank you. Great, thank you. So item 15, David, do we have any public comments? We are all clear. Thank you, so item 16, items from the commissioners. Do we have any comments? Commissioner? I'll just keep this brief. I want to express gratitude for everyone on staff and for all of my colleagues for taking the time to devote themselves. It's a true act of passion and heart and service to be here for long hours and put in the work. So I want to thank everyone on the city staff and I want to thank all my colleagues uh, for doing this. It's, it's very meaningful. So thank you. Any other comments? Commissioner Copeland? Yes, I just wanted to... Um Wish everyone very safe and happy holidays, whatever you celebrate. And uh, hopefully staff will enjoy a couple of months off from us. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you, see you in the new year. But thank you very much for everything that you do. We appreciate you. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. 
Vice Chair Lombardi. I, I can't believe this is a year-end closeout already, but I mean, yeah, thank you for all of your hard work this year and, and the commission as well. You all are lovely people and it's so nice to, to be a part of this and um, especially thanks for today's meeting. I know it was a lot and challenging. So um, I guess we won't be seeing you until 2024. <laughs> yeah, I just want to reiterate. Um, first, tonight was an amazing night. All the public speakers that came out, um, that was impactful and insightful and really appreciated. Obviously, it impacted how we felt and some of the things that we said. Um, I want to thank staff for all their support around this meeting. It's, we prepared, the staff report was fantastic and there was a lot of preparation going into the meeting and it went well. Um, I want to thank my commissioners for the very thoughtful deliberations tonight. I thought they were totally on point very respectful and really understood the situation that we're in and how we need to proceed. I think it sets a good precedence. And I want to wish everybody a happy holiday. And I look forward to seeing everybody in 2024. So we will adjourn this meeting till January 18, 2024. Happy New Year.